Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tired Vegas group trying to defend as the Blues shoot. Score! He scores! Saad throws it to the goal. On Bennington shoots and scores. And the Vegas Golden Knights have defeated the St. Louis Blues. Mark Stone angering every Blues fan at Christmas time, tucking in the game winner. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. The boys are all back, and it feels good to be with them today. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show throughout the day this morning and then into the afternoon. Alex, the Blues lose over the weekend. They do so in overtime. And so, yes, I saw all of your tweets over the weekend. Yes, I understand that the Blues went 3-1-1. and And yes, I understand that this is what I said going into this five-game stretch. You, you can have one gimme, especially like you said, Alex, with the back-to-backs that you've got. Maybe Grice just doesn't play well. Whatever. Sure. I need he to see that. you look like the better team. I need to see you play something closer to 60 minutes regularly against these quality opponents. So for me, 4-1 and one or 3-1-1, and one, that is the minimum threshold that I need to see for me to start buying back in. And I, I, that's where I am. I think 3-1-1 one one or 4. Oh, all right. T-Bone was in, too. Three one and one was the bare that minimum that I needed to start believing again. And that's all I can do right now. I wish I could come on here with a whole lot of optimism and belief in this team and say, yeah, the blues are back. And we could do the Paul Revere. The blues are coming. The blues are co- the no. blues are back in town. I just don't really feel it in my heart. I want to. I really want to be ready to jump back on board. Have you ever considered that you uh, have a ice cold heart i have you like i've thought Grinch? about that this time of the year i feel like i should be more fulfilled with a three one and one road trip than i am is that fair yeah um tanner what did you say in the office earlier feels like we got socks for christmas yeah, yeah. kind of does so that that was that was the um understanding i tried to come to on post game after that loss to vegas yeah you went three one and one and to consider that you were playing Edmonton and Calgary and Vancouver and Seattle and both sets are back-to-back games on that weird road trip to say that you came away with that as a three Oh and one or three and one victory record. I'd be okay with that, but like big picture three, one and one is a success. Absolutely. But you did beat three struggling teams and you lost to two teams that were playing some of their best hockey in Vegas and Seattle. And the Vegas one, I think, stung more than the Seattle one. The Seattle one, I expected it because you were 
back to back, going from Canada back into the U.S., dealing with customs, already exhausted. That one felt like it was a trap game. Mm -hmm. The Vegas one, though. Yeah, you got a point out of it, but you had the lead two separate times and you've lost it. And that team did not have Jack Eichel, Shea Theodore, or Jonathan Marcheseau. Like, that was a depleted team. And you weren't able to jam the knife into the brain and kill off the opponent. That was the one that felt like you needed to pull out the win. So, yeah, I mean, as much as we said 3-1-1 one, and one needs to happen for me to start believing, they can get it done because they went 3-1-1. One, and one, But it still doesn't feel that, oh, yeah, this is a playoff team like I said I would feel with this record. Yeah, I, it, it's hard for me to really buy in, and I, I just truly don't know why because it is a good road trip, 3-1-1. One, and one, But to your point, the last two games were pretty disappointing. Now, you didn't have Cairo in the game against Seattle, and that was one that we debated on uh, Friday of last week, you know, or Thursday. Was that a scheduled loss, or is that just the Blues reverting back to themselves? And I thought for most of that game in Vegas, I thought they played pretty well, but I still don't feel like it's the team of old, a team that I was expecting coming into the year. And I don't know if that's because Kairou's out and now Tori Krug is out as it was announced this morning, or if it's just because I've seen recency that they can they are a 500 team and they kind of played 500 hockey truly on that road trip. I don't know, and, and I don't understand why it is that I can't seem to buy back into a 3-1-1 road trip, in which we said that was the goal going into. You know why I think it is? Because I feel like we're going, no matter what happens this season, we're always going to be waiting for that shoe to drop. And I know you guys talked about it on Thursday. It's just been too inconsistent. You can't read this team. There has been no win a game, lose a game, and then you win another game. It's been you win a game or you win a couple of games, then you lose three or four games, and then you win three or four games. It's too streaky right now for this team. They don't know how to stop the snowball from getting bigger. That being said, over their last what is it seven games now they've had a point or excuse me seven of their last nine they've received a point in so they are starting to play a more respectable brand of hockey i I know this is unfair because we just did this with the road trip but i kind of want to see them do it again (laughs) like now you've got the the upcoming stretch is once again quality opponents and this is what we talked about last week tanner is you look at what they have coming up. It's Toronto, Minnesota, Toronto, New Jersey, Minnesota, Calgary twice. And by the end of that stretch, you should have a pretty good understanding of what they are. And this gets into the news of today. The Blues are now going to be without Tory Krug for at least the next four to six weeks. That's when he's going to be reevaluated, which does not necessarily mean that he's going to be ready to go in the next month to month and a half. It could be closer to two months. It could be closer to like the trade deadline, which is in March, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So... It could be a while before we see Tory Krug again. And that means that your defense, which was already depleted, one was already one of the big questions of the team, is now going to be that much weaker. Your power play, which had not been as good as it was a year ago, is now going to have Colton Pareko getting significant minutes on it, which for all of his strengths, and he has many of them, the power play in his career thus far, at least, has not been among those strengths for Colton Pareko. On the plus side, according to Luke Korak, Jordan Cairo is on the ice this morning, and it does appear is going to be able to play tonight for the Blues. So you lose one guy, you bring one guy back, probably comes out in the wash. You're better with Cairo than you were with Krug. But Alex, how big of a loss is this for Tory Krug being out for at least the next month? Offensively, it's a big loss. I mean, because Tory Krug creates a lot of offense. He's the go-to guy, at least it has been on that number one power play unit. You know, in the offensive zone face-offs, Craig Berube makes it a point to make sure he and Justin Falk are out there 
So, yeah, I, I mean, your power play is going to suffer from it, and the power play has just kind of been average this season, and now it's going to take another hit. And then offensively, you're losing some offensive production from your defenseman. That being said, defensively, now Tory Krug has gotten better over this last stretch of games, but defensively, you've struggled when he's been on the ice. There's been the backdoor tap-ins he's been the culprit of, and it's just not as strong as you'd like him to be in front of his net. So, as much as it stings because of the name recognition, I, I like the opportunity that Callie Rosen's going to get right now because Callie Rosen, I, I mean, he has been, he has not been playing, not because of performance, because the way Nico Mikola has been playing. And then, of course, you're playing Tori Krug and Nick Letty when healthy. So I, who's I, your top four defenseman right now? Callie Rosen with Justin Falk and then Colton Pareko and Nick Letty. Do you believe that? Because I don't believe Do I believe that. Yeah, because I think Nico Mikola has played like a top four defenseman, but there have been some struggles there. Callie Rosen moves the puck better than Nico Mikola out of his zone. Interesting. I, I just I guess it's confusing to me why you wouldn't play Callie Rosen over Nico Mikola. And then when you get the opportunity to play him, he jumps Nico Mikola in the lineup. That that feels a little strange to because me. Callie Rosen and Tori Krug to me are the same player. I, that's fair. Smaller stature defenseman moves the puck really well. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if Callie Rosen gets some power play time throughout this Tory Krug injury because Callie Rosen's got offense. Can I, I raise my hand? Can I have I a question too. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let, let's start with let's start with BK. He got his hand up first. The hell did Nick Letty do? All right, that was who, a stupid question. Who, Tanner, you. Why is Callie Rosen on the power all right, play? Because he a hasn't done question. it all year. Moving on, ladies and gentlemen. What did Nick Letty do? To lose any opportunity whatsoever to be on the power play. Can, can somebody explain it to me? No. Like, I'm not saying he is a godsend. I'm not saying he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But Nick Letty, his entire NHL Have career. Have you tried sliced bread? It's fantastic. His entire NHL career, the whole idea of Nick Letty is, hey, this guy's a puck-moving defenseman who can help your power play unit. Probably not as the number one unit guy, but... Second unit, he comes in for like the last 30 to 45 seconds of your power play. He can help you there. He's going to be able to make the correct passes. Does it take him a little bit longer to make decisions sometimes than you'd like? Sure. But he gets it where it needs to go. I don't know that that's always the case with Colton Pareko on the power play. And again, this is not a shot at Colton Pareko. Different players, like you just said, Alex, with Mikola versus Rosen, have different skill sets. Nick Letty has a power play type of a skill set. Why is he not on the power play? I don't know. The only the only solution that I come up with why they're not using him there is that he doesn't make decisions fast enough. But if I'm using that argument, I don't know if Colton Pareko should be on my power play. But if it's coming down to that reason and Colton Pareko and Nick Letty both can't move the puck quickly, what does Colton Pareko have that Nick Letty doesn't? Shot? A, A slap contract. shot. But the, oh. he doesn't use it. Well, he does use it. The problem is you don't know where it's going to go. It might hit your own player. It might hit another player. It might come out of the zone. We're playing on a soccer goal. He'd have a lot of goals. (laughs) But that's why I wouldn't be surprised if they put Callie Rosen on that because Callie Rosen plays very similarly to Tori Krug. Nico Mikula is a specialist on the defensive side. He's a penalty kill guy. He's a defenseman. But he hasn't been his entire career. No. This guy's a... Nico Mikula. Okay. Yep. You're right. He's the specialist. Yep. Nick Letty... Is the Sorry. power play guy. You're getting too angry <laughs> on Nick in. Letty, buddy. Come on, I man. Yeah, calm down, I was, man. God. I was ready to attack. Nick, God, it's like Jaws. <laughs> Smell <Yeah>. blood. <laughs> 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 
I just, I am very confused hey, Nick by Nick Letty it. will get his moment. I'm sure he'll get a power I'm play not time. Sure. Look, all it's going to take is one slap shot from Colton Pareko that comes out of the zone and turns into an odd man and rush. And then Callie Rosen gets his chance. And then Callie Rosen gets his chance. I mean, Robert chance. Bortuzzo might be above Nick Letty on the power play depth right, chart at this now point. Now, that's ridiculous. But they do, call him, him. they do call him Bobby Ortuzzo. I just... It's very confusing to it? me. Bobby or to answer my or question, man. how much of a loss is Tory Krug? I at this point, I just don't know, guys. Like I, I think that it in name feels like a much bigger loss than it actually is. I do think it impacts them on the power play. I really do because as much as Tory Krug has been a problem for them at times at five on five. He's still a very good power play specialist. He's basically become Scott Perunovich, what Scott Perunovich was in the playoffs for them, where it's like, hey, do you want this guy playing at five on five? Not really, but if he's on your power play unit, you're better because of it. So I do have some concerns about what this means for their power play because it was already not great. And now you lose Krug, who has A, been a good shot for you on the power play and B, set things up well. That is concerning to me because this team still hasn't shown that it can consistently win at five on five. But defensively, are you all that much worse with Rosen out there than you were with Krug? No, and you might even be a little bit better. So I, I, th- I, I don't. I think it kind of comes out in the wash. I, I think to put it easier to understand, it's more of a hurt for this team to lose Jordan Cairo for the amount of time that they did than they're going to do with Tori Krug. Yeah, I that's think the way I look at it. When you look at it, like, are you better bringing back Cairo and losing Krug? I think the answer is yes. Because so you're better today than you were on Saturday in a roundabout way. Because when you lose Jordan Cairo, those three games that are two games that he didn't play, the entire identity of the team shifted. Like, yep. they weren't the speed team anymore. You weren't going to the front of the net hard enough. So, like, who were you? You lose Tory Krug, you're still going to play the same way stylistically. That's where Callie Rosen comes into play because he can move the puck like Tory Krug. The only question is, does he become stronger? Is he more of a liability or is he more of a a a hurt? And, no. Oh yeah, that would be the opposite of a liability. Yeah. Didn't take a lot of econ back in school. Coming up at the top of the hour, we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues insider for the Athletic. <laughs> want to get his thoughts on the Tory Krug injury. Want to get his thoughts as well on the three, one, and one five game road trip for the Blues. Is he ready to buy back in? We'll get into all of that with JR coming up at top of the hour. Coming up at 15 minutes, we will reveal our weekend pick. <laughs> it's my favorite segment of the week, boys. We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, How come ESPN seems so much higher on the Cardinals than everybody locally is? Why does everybody nationally seem to be higher on the Cardinals than we are locally? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Your comfort service text line to get involved in the show coming up in 15 minutes. We'll get to questions and answers. But Alex, ESPN continues to be high on the St. Louis Cardinals. Earlier today, they posted their way too early predictions, projections for the 2023 season. No surprise, the New York Mets came in at number one. They are projecting the Mets to win 103 games in 2023. Second place in these rankings were the San Diego Padres at 100 wins. And third place were the New York Yankees. You continue down this list in the National League. After the Padres, it's the Braves at 99 wins. And then... The St. Louis Cardinals at 92. They have the Cardinals at a projected 92 wins, which would right now be, according to these, 
uh, rankings, the fourth best team in the National League. Yes, ahead of the Dodgers, who are projected at 90 and ahead of the Phillies, who are projected at 85. For what it's worth, the Brewers also ahead of the Phillies in these rankings at 86 wins. Here is what ESPN.com wrote about the Cardinals. The Cardinals are rarely aggressive when it comes to quantity moves, adding uh, players from outside the organization. However, they have been opportunistic when it comes to making a targeted move, and generally those have paid off for them. The latest maneuver is to fit the bill, fits the bill in signing the catcher, Wilson Contreras. It's the only move that as of now figures to have an impact on the big league depth chart in a significant way from this offseason. Yet, it appears to have been enough to give the Redbirds a strong offseason grade as the roster does look solid once again. Another starting pitcher would have been a good idea, but don't we always say that about St. Louis? End quote again, that comes from ESPN.com. My question to you is this. Why does it seem like everybody nationally is higher on the Cardinals than we are locally? Because last year it was almost the opposite, where we were pretty high on the Cardinals locally and everybody nationally was telling us, yeah, but their rotation is a mess. There's no way you can get through the season this way. They ended up being right in some ways, but the Cardinals were still good despite that. Do you think that we're too low locally? Are are people too high nationally? What do you think is the disconnect here between the national and local analysis of the Cardinals right now? I don't know if we're too low locally because, I I mean, I think this is probably right around what I thought they would be this year, a 90 to 92 win team. Um, I I think it's just a matter of I, I don't put them in the same echelon as the three teams above them in the Padres, the Braves and the Mets because... Because I've seen this story before where you look at it and you say, well, they've got all of the pieces in place offensively. They've got all of these weapons that you can talk about. Pitching wise, you're good there. Defensively, it's if players stay healthy, they're going to be in gold glove conversations, at least in multiple positions. But the problem is when it gets to the time that matters the most in the postseason, all of those assets go away. You might get the pitching, but the offense disappears. You're not getting all of these bats that you thought you had in the regular season. And you're talking about getting bounced in a wild card series. So I don't think it's that I'm low locally on them because I do think this is what they are. But I also think what they are as it currently stands is a team that you're relying on a lot of hopes and ifs when it comes to postseason play. I say, I don't think we're, too low on them because I agree with what Alex said. I, I think that projected win total is where we could see them finishing. I think it comes down to, okay, that's nice, but then what do you do in the postseason? And I, I think that's where we get to the where we're lower on the Cardinals because when you look at the rotation, this is a point that you brought up, BK, when you were talking about Carlos Rodon. When you bring in Carlos Rodon, now you have that definite 1A at the front of your rotation if Jack Flaherty's not healthy to match up with all the other aces across baseball. When you look at the lineup, The Cardinals lineup is deep, but it doesn't have as many impact bats as some of the other teams across the the NL do. Like, the Cardinals have three legitimate impact bats, and they've got really good depth and complementary pieces around those guys, but they're still missing another fourth, fifth impact bat when you look at, like, the Phillies, the Braves, the Padres. So I think that's where the difference comes to is the regular season. Yeah, I, I think that's where we all say, yeah, around 92 wins, they should be the favorite. They should win the NL Central. I think the conversation shifts once you start to talk about the playoffs. And, and I think part of that is because, one, the rich history here in St. Louis and the championship aspirations that the Cardinals always have year in, year out. Last year when Ollie took over saying, hey, we're here to win championships, not just get into the playoffs. 
and then you get into the playoffs, and year after year, it's just been disappointment after disappointment. And I think that's where things kind of start to change. It's an interesting point, and somebody on the text line says this as well. Guys, unless you watch the team every day, it's impossible to understand how frustrating this outfield situation is. It looks way better on paper than it does when you watch it on a day-to-day basis. I think that's the case for most teams. Like, I think for us to look on paper at the Dodgers lineup, for example, we were talking about this the last couple of weeks, where when you look at the Dodgers, I would say to myself, that team's not as good as the Cardinals are. And I think the same is true for a lot of these projections. It seems like I think Fangraphs is lower on the Dodgers than the other Cardinals. And now ESPN is also lower on the uh, Dodgers than they are the Cardinals. But I think when you just say it out loud, you did the say it out loud test in St. Louis. I think the majority of Cardinals fans would probably take the Dodgers over the Cardinals heading into this upcoming season. And I think that's because we don't watch them every day and we do watch the Cardinals. And you're always more frustrated with the thing that you see on a day to day basis than the thing that you don't. So I I don't think that is specific to the Cardinals. I think that's a lot of teams. That being said, I think it does come down to Cardinals fans are now judging this team exclusively on what they do in the playoffs. And it's the first time that's really been the case since like 2015, probably you think that's fair. Yeah. Like, I I don't think that since then it's been exclusively about the playoffs. It's been, can you win the division? And some of this is because the division now stinks and you don't have the Cubs or the Brewers as the clear and obvious next man up. Dansby Swanson. Yeah. But it's part of it is that. And part of it is their recent playoff lack of success. So when you look at it that way, I, I do think that we've kind of evolved here in St. Louis to where we were seven years ago. And it's it's postseason success or bust. And we don't really care any longer about winning 95 games in the regular season because what does that matter if it doesn't come with any playoff success? And I think they've got the pieces in place to put them in this conversation now. Like a couple of years ago, we weren't having these conversations because I didn't think they had the pieces in place for it. But now they do. But uh, again, like the difference between the and honestly, if I'm a Mets fan, I'm having the same conversations right Mets now. Mets is even a greater degree. The Mets, the Mets stuff is like, yeah, nothing matters until the playoffs. Now they are where the Golden State Warriors got. They are where every year LeBron James is in the NBA. They are where if you have Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady as your quarterback in the NFL. Nothing in the regular season matters. It's about getting to the playoffs and then getting through the playoffs. Well, that's the, it for the Mets. Now. And that's what I mean. Uh, like the Mets, Padres, the, I would say same thing because they are all in the Mets of the Cardinals to me are in the same boat because the Mets, there's not a lot of, oh, yeah, well, they've done it before. So what can I go off of? Like, at least for the Padres, although even them, they're in this conversation. The only team that's ahead of the Cardinals right now that you just sit there and say, yeah, World Series bound. It's the Braves. The Dodgers have taken the step backwards. I'm a little surprised at the projections for the Phillies because I think the Phillies are better than that and they have the offense and the pitching to prove it. And the Giants, I'm surprised the Giants are even at that spot because I think the Giants are lower than that. 76 wins? Yeah. I mean, that that says that they're going to be terrible. <laughs> like that that projection just means of the bad teams in the National League, somebody has to win 76 games. Sure. Giants. Got to be that but they're team. the team that's in the same division as the Dodgers and the Padres. If the Dodgers are bad, then yeah, maybe 76. But I... The Giants I mean, that are just means awful. That they, could lo- they could easily lose 90 games if they're projected to win 76. So throw them off. Like, they, they don't matter. And, and I do think <laughs> it's a seven-team race in the National League uh, this year. I do think part of the other reason when you look at why people are lower on the Cardinals, too, and it, it's not so much as just looking at the team itself, but I think it, it comes down to 
spending as well. How often do we see Cardinals fans want to see more spending from the St. Louis Cardinals? Like, oh, yeah, they got Wilson Contreras, but they need to keep adding to it. Carlos Rodon was a name that kept getting thrown out. Uh, Nathan Ovaldi is a name that we keep seeing that some people are saying they want to see the Cardinals sign. I think part of the reason for that, too, is because they feel like that's the way that you build these wins. I mean, you look at the Padres. How, how did they get to their win total? Yeah, they kind of develop internally, but most of it is because they've gone out and spent to get to that 100-win mark. The Mets, 103 wins. Though the Braves are mostly built internally, they've been spending a lot of money as well. And I think that's the other part of this that comes into play, too, is people see what now that it's become more of a buyer's market. Look at the Philadelphia Phillies and how they got into the playoffs last year and made the run. It's because they go out and spend on superstars. And I think that is a part of it. I, th- I think if this was five years ago, like 2015, like you referenced, and the Cardinals made a signing like Wilson Contreras, it would have been like, oh, hey, yeah, that's a really good move. Now it's like, okay, but there needs to be a lot more because that's what all these other teams are doing. And I think that's part of this perspective as well. Do you think that there's anything they could do at this point to close the gap on the Braves? Like, reasonably. Because Nathan Avaldi does nothing for me, to, to be totally honest yeah. with you guys. Nathan, get, yeah. would, he, would he make your team better? Sure. Does he make your team better enough that it is worth spending 15 to $20 million per year on a multi-year contract for Nathan Avaldi? In my opinion, no. I, I'm, I would absolutely not do that. Now, could you trade for a Pablo Lopez or one of the other starters that may or may not be available right now? Sure, I, I'd be interested in looking at some of those things. I, I think, though, for me, and we talked about this last week, Tanner, when Alex was out, I, I would do what Kevin Wheeler suggested, which is wait, see what be, what happens with your roster, see how you look with the outfield, see how Jack Flaherty looks as you get closer to the middle of the season, and if you get positive answers on all of those things, well, then maybe something else has come up that you can use that prospects capital to trade for if you end up not having the answers in your outfield that you were hoping for go get one if you end up not having a legitimate number one starter because Jack Flaherty is either not healthy or ineffective then go get that guy like I would wait at this point until you get to the midseason point to reevaluate where you are roster wise but Alex is there anything realistically speaking that you think the Cardinals could do right now or at some point before the end of the offseason that could help them close that gap with the Atlanta Braves? I don't think so. I don't think realistically, no. Uh, I think you would have to make a trade for an ace, and I like the idea of you're at this point now where you need to see where your team is at, go through the first couple of months of the season, see how some of these bats play out, see how your rotation looks, and if guys can stay healthy, then you can make the move. But right now, no. There's nothing realistically that I think you can do to say, yep, you're better than the Atlanta Braves now. I agree. I I don't think there's anything on the market that you have to do that's going to get you to close that gap significantly. I do think you need maybe another bullpen arm that's got some swing and miss, but he's not going to be a, it's not going to be an addition to where I go. Now they're going to be able to have more wins than the Braves. So I I don't think there's anything on the outside. I think if it's going to come, it's going to come waiting and see what you have internally. I I think for them to surpass the Braves, it's going to come internally. It's going to come. Jack Flaherty's healthy and is back to his form and is an ace. And Jordan Walker ends up being ready. Or Tyler O'Neill becomes that fourth impact bat. All right, before we get out of here and get to our weekend pick and reveal, Tanner, somebody on the text line asked us, hey, guys, did you see the article yesterday that had Boston potentially trading Chris Sale this offseason? Would you have any interest for the Cardinals? I want to say on the front end, Chris Sale has two guaranteed years left on his contract, $27 million this year, $27 million next year. He has a full no-trade clause as well, and then he has a vested option for 2025 when he will be 36 years old for potentially $20 million. Tanner, I know this is something that you wanted to talk about. I have less than zero interest because he has thrown all of 50 innings since the end of the 2019 season. Would you be interested in trading for Chris Sale? Not really, unless it was a salary dump in which it was 
hey, you take Paul DeYoung and we get Chris Sale. And, like, that's it. Like, you and shouldn't. And they need to throw in an extra $15 million yeah, for me yeah. to take it. Oh, the Nolan Arenado deal. Yeah. Like, it would have to be that. It, there's no other way to make this deal because he's too much of a risk. I, I can't imagine anybody's making a trade giving up any kind of asset haul to go and acquire Chris Sale. I, if you would were you to give do up this. Liberator? Liberator and DeYoung for Chris Sale, and, and they take on. So he's going to make $55 million over the next two years. $10 million of that is offset by DeYoung. So you're down to $45 million. They take on 20. So you're paying over the next two years $25 million for Chris Sale in total. And they get Matthew Liberator and Paul DeYoung. I, I don't, don't know I why have, you're considering that. I would do that. My assumption is that ni- neither team would probably do this deal, but just in a hypothetical sense to figure out where we're at with this. I think I would. I would do I, that. I think I would too, because I'm not sure what Liberator's role is in the future. And I'll, I'll just be honest, I said this last year. To me, he kind of reminds me of what Luke Weaver was when he got called up, where like there was all this hype and it was always around one pitch, and then you saw it, and you're like, yeah, at, at best it's he's fine. like a 4-5. <laughs> like, he's not the top-end guy that they thought. So yeah, I, I would probably do that. If they wanted Liberator and DeYoung, and we get $20 million plus sale, sure, you can have them. That's fine. I also think that we've got a lot of people that are bringing up the off-field questions about Chris Sale as well. Yeah, I think that's probably why he's not going to be a Cardinal. Like he's He would never well, cut up Just the because he jersey. cut up jerseys? That was a while ago, guys. Let's get past it. And then didn't he like break his hand while punching a wall recently? Yeah, did well? you see there the was video? another Cardinals pitcher that did that too, and it was in the minors. How'd that go? Now, where's he at right now? Exactly. He doesn't have a team right now. He was still on the team for a few years after he broke the wall. Coming though. up in 15 minutes, questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic coming up at the top of the hour. Get his thoughts on the Tory Krug injury. We will also get his thoughts on Jordan Kyrou's return. That is all coming up at noon. The weekend pick em reveal. We each had three picks over the weekend, the extended weekend this time around. How do we do? Who's getting punished? We'll tell you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're getting into questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved. So each and every Friday, typically, last week it was Thursday with us having the weekend off. We go through our picks of the week. The way this works, we have the nine best games of the weekend. In our opinion, it is a democracy in some ways. Really, it's... No, it's not a democracy. It's a dictatorship and one person takes over. Your fearless leader decides what is and is not. Decide a stupid bowl game. 65780, if you think BK's our fearless leader. 100%. They all say yes. Um, we decide what the nine best games are for the weekend, and then we draft them in snake order. This past week, Alex had the first pick. Tanner selected second. I picked third. Random Typically, selector. This goes very poorly for me. It goes very well for Tanner, and Alex falls somewhere in between. Well, let's find out how it went for your boy BK this week. I like the Jacksonville Jaguars a lot tonight. You just you picked the Jets yesterday, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, they've got Zach Wilson. The Jaguars plus one and a half on the road at the Jets makes no sense to me. For 53 yards, it's fourth down and two. Throwing. Caught. And the ball then comes out. They had the first down and Poor more. Michaels. And the next thing you know, it's a turnover. I continue to be confused by Vegas's treatment of the Cincinnati Bengals. 
Last week, they were a three and a half point favorite down in uh, Tampa Bay. The Bengals minus three to me is the best pick of the week. I love the Bengals minus three in this spot. And Stevenson lost the football. Cincinnati claims they've Should've got it, lost. and they do. My next selection will be the Wake Forest Demon Deacons mm. minus one and a half you can't do that as a Mizzou the fan. Missouri Tigers. The reason why is very simple. Yeah, what are you doing? Wake shows pressure. They back out. So Harden has time. Back in the end zone. More for the score. Is that a three and a week? Was it that Al Michaels again? Yeah, was. Is that my first three and a week of the season? No, you no, did you it with one me at the beginning one. of the year. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Since week one, even a blind squirrel finds the nut. Strong. I had the Jags. I had the Bengals. I had Wake Forest, and I put in a couple of four leg parlays with Tanner this weekend. Both of which fell one leg short. Both of which were the one leg that I felt the most confident about. So that tells you everything that you need to know. Should have gotten the FanDuel Sportsbook same game parlay insurance over there while I was doing it this weekend. Guys, the Jets should have been a lock for the NFL playoffs. Instead, because they had to start this disaster of a Zach Wilson project. They're probably, like they're probably going to end up missing the postseason. If they had simply started this, sh- I, guys, I watched a lot of college football. Chris Streveler, are you Joe familiar Flacco? with his work from South Dakota? No. No, but play Joe Flacco. Can't be that bad. Streveler, I think, is going to start for them this weekend. Oh, Joe Flacco is going to be their backup. I, I Or Mike, Mike White's back. I, say, I thought me. Mike, Mike White's back clear. this weekend. They should have been starting the Streveler character. He ain't good. Zach Wilson is the worst starting quarterback in the NFL and one of the worst starting quarterbacks I've seen in the NFL over the last decade. It's a disaster what he's done to that team. They should have been a playoff the team. The only year. reason he's not having success is because that market's hard. That's what his mom said. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's what his mom said. She legitimately tweeted that out. Or, or was said that, that his somebody. friend's mom? The Bengals nah, nah, tried really, really hard to lose that game against the Patriots. They did. I, I Every week that I watch the NFL... I feel worse about the top contenders every single week. You look at the Eagles. They're now without Jalen Hurts. You look at the Chiefs. They seem to play closer games than what you would expect every single week. The Bills have not been the same team for weeks now. Every single team that you go into the weekend, you're like, oh, yeah, that team's the one that I believe in now. They always do something that throws you off their scent. Even the Dolphins, who four weeks ago, we were all talking about, ah, that guy, that team's going to be scary. No, they stink. All right, let's go ahead and get to the next one. This is Tanner's picks for the week. Give me the Chiefs minus 10. Mahomes stepping up, looking. Mahomes chase, diving for the pylon. Patrick Mahomes, is it a touchdown? No signal, yes. Touchdown, Kansas City. I'm going with the Dolphins minus three and a half against the Packers. You know what Aaron Rodgers is going to be doing in Miami? Over the sideline and picks. Russell Douglas. Third consecutive drive that ends in an interception. The Vikings didn't show up against the Colts last weekend until the second half. I think they start off slow again. I think this game is close with the Giants. I think the Giants might win this week. I'm going to go Giants on the road at the Vikings plus three and a half. From 61. And he has done it again. And the Vikings do it again. So that is a... Two in one week for you? That's right. Another two in one week for your boy. Two in one week for Tanner. Do a round robin with him. Never do a parlay. It always falls one hey, leg short true. unless you have the same game parlay insurance over on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Alex, 
You need to beat a two-in-one week. Otherwise, this is the week that you get punished. Let's find out how you did, buddy. We're starting this one off with the Alex Ferrario lock of the week. Cowboys minus five against the Eagles. Gardner Minshew's trash. We all know that. Prescott fires. Caught. Lamb. Touchdown. Trash. 49ers. Home game. Minus seven against Taylor Heineke. Let's be real. That defense isn't going to allow anything from Taylor Heineke and the Washington Commanders. 49ers minus seven. That's a lock for me. It's Kittle getting a block downfield. And a good one it was by Jennings. He's in again. He cannot be stopped. So I'm going to back the one that I think is very true, and it's the Missouri basketball team is going to be trash against a good opponent in Illinois. Yeah, Dragon rights game, I'll take Illinois minus seven. Apparently I forgot which one was trash. This is unfortunate, man. I feel bad for you. It happens. It's only happened four times. You had a good week. Go two and one. Unfortunately... Because we do a stupid way of going about our... You complain about this, but we've been doing it for 16 weeks. And we agreed to it when we started. And you've won because of it. No, I've lost. I don't win this. Uh, Our point differential, the way that it works, exclusively applies to your losses. And Alex, the Illinois Fighting Illini got their butts whipped this weekend As, by my Missouri Tigers. Hey, well, our oh, M-I-Z. Yeah, okay, you can sure claim them. He picked Wake Forest in their bowl <laughs> yeah. game. Let's not Who's claim right it. It's our Missouri Tigers. As Brad Tigers. Underwood once eloquently, eloquently once said, apparently I can't say this word. <laughs> that's what that was, game that was, was also a Brad Underwood That's what. That's what that uh, game was. Alex, you are getting punished this week. I'll take the loss like a champ. going two and one. You won't hear me complain about the point differential yeah. reason why I'm losing. You should be because it it's unfair for you. Way to be you, a champion. you got screwed. Tanner should be getting uh, punished this week, but he is. He thinks he's the fearless leader, even though he's not. Hey, I'll put you in your place, fearless leader. So your potential Whoa. punishments for this upcoming week, Alex, and people can vote on these on Twitter at 101 ESPN, also on the ES- 101 ESPN app, which is free to download. You should do that over on your phone as well. Option number one, you are going to have to recreate the course of a music video. Okay. Of our choosing. Oh, awesome. Which is going to be absolutely incredible. And I'm very much excited for it because yeah, if they pick it, because <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you could hear this voice read a page of 50 shades of gray on air. Or, or see him dance around. Whatever you choose. Option number three, which I think has been on this for, what, six Be- weeks now? Because we literally do it every segment, Monday through Friday. Is you singing on the air uh, the choice, or a song of our choice. So karaoke, read Fifty Shades of Grey, a page of that live on the air, or recreate the chorus of a music video. I wonder what the audience is going to select for this week's punishment for Alex Ferrario. I mean... If you want to hear a sexy voice read Fifty Shades of Grey on air, don't vote for that. Take that right now. No, absolutely do not. Punished. <laughs> no, they don't want a child reading this book on air. I'm just so happy I went three and zero this <laughs> Is week. Or illegal? That's a real thing. <laughs> coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for the Athletic. But coming up next, six five seven eight zero zero covered service X line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101.
ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. service x from the 314 guys we need the fantasy football league update what's going on who ended up in the championship game so i was booted right before our playoffs i had a win and in game in the final week of the regular season i did not win said game i think i would have won the title had i made it to the postseason yeah, but Houston would win in. the Super Bowl if they got into. I scored the most points in our league this week. I I was the highest scorer this season. Didn't make the playoffs, so none of that mattered. Alex, what was your update? What did you end up doing other uh, than losing to me this past weekend? I was going to say, I, will, oh, yeah, but I don't think I even checked my lineup, so congrats on your victory. Yeah, we were in the consolation prize. I was. Uh, I think I was like you. I was a win and get in, and I lost that final week and. I think you guys finished with the same record, like six mm-hmm. and I eight. had the third most points scored in the, in the league. Did you so. not hear me just say that I beat him this week? It was again. Late. I would not be checking my yeah. team. Again, I, did a beat team move. I didn't check my lineup. So congrats on that big victory for you. We both finished six and eight this year. Uh, the my playoffs this me. week, the, the semifinals were Donnie, uh, Donnie Fandega from 105.7 The Point versus Jackson. Jackson was the number one seed in our league. Jackson fell on his face. His team just got absolutely destroyed. They finished scoring 75 points this week. This is a PPR league. He had DeAndre Hopkins score one point. He had Deion Jackson last night score two points for him. Michael Pittman scored five. Mm. And his defense, the Tennessee Titans against the Texans, scored him four. So Um, Donnie is going to the final. In our other semifinal matchup, it was Randy versus Tanner. Tanner, how'd it go? Oh, T-Bone is dancing his way to the championship game against Donnie. a baby, T-Bone represents. Go get that money. Yeah, and I'd li- I want to give give a, you know, the reporter comes up to me and asks me a question. I'd like to thank the commissioner for making the draft picks very short yeah. so nobody was fully prepared for their draft. The dude who literally I was on just, top of my game. The literally, guy who literally the drops draft process. Ezekiel Elliott in the middle of the season goes to the championship. I forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> Just freaking drops them. Doesn't even offer them up in trades. I told him afterwards, I was like, Tanner, I would have sent you like a legit starting running yeah. back for Ezekiel. He was like, yeah, I was done with that guy. He's trash. I was done. I was fed up, man. Hey. Great management. It is great management. Talk about a great GM to get his team to the playoffs after cutting. Arguably, he would have been his best player at this point in the yeah. season. He would have helped you considering going into the, uh, the fantasy championship. You're going to be starting... Nick Chubb and Jarek McKinnon yeah. as your starting running backs. Jarek McKinnon, by the way, great pickup. Great I'll be pickup rooting for you. Donnie Fandango. Wow, that is wow. hurtful. Wow, I will be too. Six five seven eight zero here. Comfort service sex line for questions and answers from the three one four BK. Did you fly Southwest again this weekend? I'm trying to figure out what happened to them. I did not. However, the BKO might have been like passed off to my mother. My mom and sister were planning to go out to Denver. I on. You guys think that I have unlimited vacation days. I actually do not. (laughs) I don't have any vacation days left. So I was not going to be able to go out there with them to see my grandparents this year. It's all right. He's got a full slate of them in five days. Don't worry. Starting in January, I've got another vacation coming up for you guys where I will miss uh, a week of shows. So 
What's oh. new? <laughs> Who could have seen that one coming? I think I passed it along to the Kylie household. They were planning to fly this weekend, so that's probably why Southwest was uh, struggling. I have a tinfoil theory. I think BK was supposed to go to Denver, didn't tell any of us, and then when he heard that Southwest was being uh, canceling all their flights, he decided to say, oh, I wasn't going to Denver. No. Yeah, that was never in One the One of my family was going, here, take my ticket, take my ticket. Somebody from the 314 says, do you guys think that the Cardinals should go after Eric Hosmer? I mentioned this last week, Alex. I would be curious your thoughts on it. If you told me Eric Cosmer signed a one-year veteran minimum deal, so like two million bucks with the Cardinals, he essentially is in the role that Albert Pools had at the beginning of last year, where he's a DH occasionally, backup first baseman for you, left-handed bench bat. Would you be interested in that role for Eric? Absolutely. Cosmer? That's a, that's like a perfect asset piece for a clubhouse, a guy who's won a World Series, been to a World Series, a veteran in the league. A, a, a left-handed bat for you, a bench player, the first baseman filling. Absolutely, that would make sense for them. And for that price, sure. That's where I'm at. Anything above $5 million, I'm not doing no, it. No, he's not getting that. He's not getting that from anybody. Nobody's going to pay him eh, anything might. more than a veteran minimum. I mean, he could have been had when he was DFA and nobody claimed him. So I, I would imagine that he's... But wasn't he making like $25 million or something like that? Not at this point. San Diego's paying oh. his entire salary. So you, you weren't on the hook for anything. I don't think he's going to get anything of significance. He might even get a minor league invite at this point in his I'd career. I'd do that also. I think that's what he's going to end up having to take. If nobody wanted him for free, he's going to have to essentially take a minor league invite and prove that he still still can play. Would you do it? On a minor league invite, I, I'd have interest. I, I would bring him in just to see what he look, looks like. I, I think where he ends up going is somebody that's kind of on the cusp of contending, I'm, I'm like someone that's kind of sitting on that six, like Miami. seven. Yeah, Miami would be a team that probably would have interest. I think they need a first baseman because last year they DFA'd uh, – Aguilar, so someone like that, bring him in, minor league dealer, like one year, a million bucks, or league minimum with incentives. That's probably what's going to happen. Coming up in 15 minutes, we will discuss the bragging rights game. It's a tale of two stories locally. I'd prefer not to discuss if that's okay. Loved my side of things. T-Bone, I'm not sure I loved your side of things from the Illini perspective. We'll discuss how that game impacts the trajectory of both of the local schools, Illinois and Mizzou, coming up in 15 minutes. Jeremy Rutherford is our Blues insider for The Athletic. We'll talk to him next about the loss of Tory Krug, the return of Jordan Cairo, and what he made of the Blues in their 3-1-1 road trip. Jeremy Rutherford next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for the Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at JP Rutherford. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. Hope you had yourself a very Merry Christmas. How are you doing today? Doing real well, yeah. I hope you guys uh, did as well. It's uh, exciting to get off the couch and get back to watching some hockey. Speak for yourself, <laughs> yeah. Exciting might not be the word that couch I would use for it, but good nonetheless. Uh, Jared, before we look forward, let's look back for a second. The Blues went 3-1-1 one, one in their West Coast road trip. They played overall pretty well, especially considering they played in the last two games without Jordan Cairo. <laughs> I said going into that road trip that I needed to see something like a 3-1-1 one, one or better road trip for me to even start talking about whether or not I'm back on board with this team. Where do you stand with them right now? 
Yeah, I think uh, if you just look at the record, 3-1-1, that was great. That was a great road trip for this team. You realize that it didn't end in Vegas the way you wanted to if you come home 4-1 and one, even better. Uh, but I think 3-1-1 uh, tells you a little bit about this team. That was a tough, long road trip heading into the break. You know, now you play a couple pretty good teams here. You got uh, Toronto. I know Minnesota's been playing better. Got them at the end of the week. Uh, where do I stand with this team? I'm still kind of status quo is uh, show me some more. Show me some consistency. Uh, show me some individuals who are playing better hockey, contributing uh, to the overall team. And I, I think that you could have something. But I just don't think we're there yet until you can see it for a longer stretch of time. Good road trip. I think it still puts those bubble people like yourself in a good position thinking about this team. Uh, but uh, for me, I, I think they've got to put it together for a much longer time before Doug Armstrong, anybody can believe that the right thing not to do is to trade some of these unrestricted free agents. So I'm kind of on the same page as you, Jr. but then we get the news earlier today about Tory Krug being out for an extended period of time, long-term injury reserve, which means he's out for at least six weeks. How big of a loss is this for the team? I think it's a loss from this perspective that he's a veteran player. He's a guy I respect. I think when he's healthy and he's playing his, his best game, I think that he's a guy who can really help you. I think that he's been dealing with an upper body injury uh, throughout the year. I think that was kind of lingering, and this one's a lower body injury. And I asked Craig Bruby, did it happen on that shot block late in the Vegas game? He said, possibly. Coach speak, that probably means yes. Uh, so now you're going to be without Craig Bruby. Interesting. So Kylie Rosen will go in that second pair with Justin Falk, according to the, the pairs today. And I like that. I liked uh, Kylie Rosen's game throughout the year. I think it's a numbers game in terms of what six they want to play. He's been the odd guy out. But for me, he's a guy in the offensive zone that steps up. He keeps plays going, chips the pucks in, wins, kind of races to the puck. And that's led to a lot of goals for the Blues. And meanwhile, he's pretty good defensively in his own zone. So in terms of when I say that, I don't think there's going to be a lot of drop-off. I say that with all due respect to Tory Krug, but I don't know that we've had a, t- a healthy Tory Krug. So I-, I think putting Rosen in there is going to be a good thing for the Blues, and he's going to be able to help this team. So the issue is on the power play, JR. That- that's where Krug was actually playing pretty well so far this season, and it looks like it's going to be Falk and Pareko as the two point men from the defensive side of things on those power play units. Can- I-, I just, I- I'm very curious. Can you explain to me why Nick Letty's not on that power play unit over Colton Pareko? Well, I think what we talked to Craig Ruby today about that, and we said, uh, Colton Pareko, in his time on the power play, what have you liked, what have you not liked? And he said that uh, he wants the shot. We've all talked about that for years. He wants to see the shot. They told him that. They want to see it more on the power play. He also wants to see quicker puck decisions, quicker movement up the top, right? That's what Tory Krug gives you. Tory Krug's only eight points on the power play this season. So even though he's that quarterback-type guy, that's what they miss when they don't have Tory Krug out there. And Colton Preco's never going to give you that, that quick power play movement that they're looking for, but he can give you the shot. So why him over Letty? You know, I'm not quite sure. Perhaps it's, uh, you know, the, the skating. You get it from both of those guys, Letty and Preco. We've seen a lot of pucks go back the other way on the power play, you know, penny kill. Uh, uh, Colton Preco is a guy who can track that back. Uh, so I, maybe it's the experience that Colton Preco's had on it here in St. Louis with some of these guys. It's a good question. I think you couldn't go wrong with either one of those guys, but if it's going to be Pareko, you definitely need to see some of those things that Ruby talked about today. Jared, the one thing that was concerning for me over these last two games on the road trip was without Jordan Cairo, the Blues kind of looked like 
a team that didn't have an identity. And and I always feel like, yes, when you lose a significant player, of course, it's going to hinder your opportunity to be successful. But man, losing one player should not change the identity of a team. And it was a team that just looked a little bit lost without Cairo in Seattle and Vegas. Yeah, and it shouldn't be that way. You're right. But I think in a situation with Cairo, he's kind of with his play lately, Alex, just kind of created that identity where, okay, we're a team that used to be heavy, forechecking type team. Now we're a bit of a transition team. And, oh, by the way, now our biggest transition guy, the guy who's on a heater, is out of the lineup. So you kind of look around looking for him and, and don't see him. So you probably lose a little bit of that. And, you know, uh, still, uh, even though he said that he's in tonight, Jordan Cairo, Craig Bruby labeled him a game-time decision. So I do think if he plays, and I expect him to play, uh, that you'll see kind of them take off where they were prior to him missing the past couple games. I really do think that the Blues are establishing something with Cairo. He's not going to be able to put up three or four points every night, obviously, uh, but I just think the way that he was playing confidently, taking the puck and doing things with it, whether it be that rush, whether it be that transition, or whether it be that shot from distance, he's doing what they need him to do, and I think people were starting to follow him, and the team kind of looked like that now. Jeremy Rutherford is our guest here on 101 ESP, and you can find his work over at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Uh, JR, when do you think that Doug Armstrong would like to know what his plans are for the trade deadline? Do you think there's a date? Is there a like a feeling around the league as to this is when things will start heating up trade talk wise? When do you think he kind of needs to know what he's got? Well, I'll throw it back at you like this, and, you know, I'm, you have to give yourself a little bit of wiggle room, but I really do feel like he knows what he wants to do. And, you know, could a six- or seven-game winning streak change things? I realize they're just a few points out of, you know, the wild-card playoff spot, and there's a lot of season left to play. He's had faith in a lot of his teams in the past. But just that I, as I sit here and think about what's going through Doug Armstrong's mind with this team, I just think that, sure, he's going to have – some belief in the guys that he put together. Uh, but I do think that what we've seen this season has kind of showed probably the direction that he needs to go. And, and even if he thinks that uh, he's going to give this team some time to maybe put some wins together and, and change his mind, he, he just knows that at some point you're going to have to hit reset with some of these guys. And if you're not going to sign Ryan O'Reilly to a long-term contract, then perhaps it is the time to move him, regardless of if you're two or three points out of a playoff spot. So, you know, could be proven wrong. This team could go nine and one in the next ten, and Doug Armstrong sticks with his guys and keeps his unrestricted free agents. I don't know. I just think that big picture, he knows what he wants to do, and it's just a matter of time. So, on that note, Jr. and I know we're still really early in this, but when you look at the players that the Blues have to offer, I would imagine if you're Doug Armstrong, you're probably going to start getting some phone calls about right now because if you're a team that wants to contend. You want your opportunity to get at Ryan O'Reilly or a Vladimir Tarasenko in-house rather than only get them for about a month. Yeah, and that's true. I just think a couple things. You know, if we're going to follow the uh, script that maybe he looks uh, at these next couple weeks to see how they play, that could change things. You're talking about a couple big salary guys, 7.5. Can teams fit them on the cap uh, now as opposed to a month from now, you know, when maybe there's a little more salary cap room for those teams as you get later in the season? That's a possibility. And then also from the Blues perspective, if you're Doug Armstrong, I mean, do you get the best value now if you're making a move for those guys? And with that, demoralize the team by trading a couple of those guys who could help you? Or do you wait to closer to the trade deadline? Uh, who knows what the playoff situation looks like that? And maybe there's a bit of a bidding war for a guy like O'Reilly who can come in and help you as a rental down the stretch. So I think there's probably more advantages, Alex, probably to hanging on and waiting to closer to the deadline. 
He's Jeremy Rutherford. Find his work over at The Athletic. Had a quick piece up earlier today on Tory Krug, the injury, what it means for the Blues. I'm sure he's going to have more on that over the next few days and the next few weeks over on The Athletic. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. Uh, enjoy yourself during the holiday. Have yourself a happy new year. We'll talk with you again next week. Anytime, boys. Thanks. You too. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him hopping on. Alex, the trade deadline is March 3rd. We are now, what is that, 10 weeks away-ish, something like that, away from from the trade deadline? that's true, great math. I think that's true. I would have to do it in my head. I don't want to do that on the air right now. I I always end up messing up as a result. Do you agree with JR's premise there that Doug Armstrong probably already has a pretty good idea of what he has, and he's probably already got a pretty good idea of what he's going to do? Or do you think that the next 10 weeks or whatever it is will end up making a legit difference for him in terms of what his plans are? I think he, I don't even know if it's a pretty good chance. I think Doug Armstrong is sold on what he's going to do, and it's going to take a lot for him to change his mind about this team. I was looking at it. Paul Stastny, that year that he was traded, it was 63 games in. And that team was, that team, in my opinion, was better than this team because they weren't this inconsistent losing streak, winning streak, losing streak, winning streak. It was win a couple, then lose, and then back in the win column, and then lose a couple, and then back in the win column. Like, they were a lot more consistent in the play. This team, I think Doug knows exactly what it is, and now it's just a matter of we need to wait till we get the best offer, unless they do something to change my mind. And a 3-1-1 and start on a road trip is a good beginning point for this team, but I think you got to add on to it, and you're looking at this week against two out of three really tough contenders. And then once you get into January, where you play a lot of teams in the Western Conference that are going to be sitting above you, like Calgary twice, Minnesota once, Nashville, uh, Winnipeg, Colorado. Like those teams are going to be impactful, I think, for Doug Armstrong. But yeah, I think he's already got his mind made up, and now he's got to find a way to to get his team to prove him otherwise. Yeah, I agree with that. I I, I think his mind is made up. I, I think if you were if the deadline were tomorrow, I think we'd be talking about the Blues selling off pieces right now. I I, I do think he's made up his mind that they're probably going to be sellers, and I agree with Alex. I, I I think over the next nine to ten weeks, it's going to take the Blues overwhelmingly convincing him. It can't just be kind of okay, well, I can kind of see us going on a run. No, it has to be overwhelming, convincing that, okay, yeah, this team is worth either A, keeping together, or B, adding two. But right now, I think his mind is made up. I I think this next nine, ten weeks, they're going to have to change his opinion. I also think he's going to take this up to the trade deadline. There won't be anything done before because, like JR mentioned, you got to get the best piece available, and that will come at the trade deadline when teams miss out on other players. So I was looking back. When when you look back at the – the decisions, like you mentioned, Alex, that the Blues have made in, in previous seasons where they had a similar situation where they, they looked like they would be fine maybe, but not great. 2017, Kevin Shattenkirk traded on February 27th of 17. The Blues at the time were 31-25-5. You look at 2018, the Blues end up trading Paul Stastny. It's February 26th of 2018. 34-25-4 was their record. That means that the Blues are going to be like if they were to reach those places this year, that in terms of the points percentage, they'd have to go on a little bit of a run to get there, guys. Like this this team would have to play really well over the next ten weeks to be as good as they were in February of 2017 and in February of 2018 when the Blues sold both years some of their impending free agents. So, I, I think that what Jr. says 
the place where I definitely agree with it is something significant would have to change. Like you'd have to go 20. I think they've got 27 games left. You'd have to go something like 18, five and three or something like that down the stretch. I mean, it'd have to be pretty crazy. The difference in this season, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, is in those seasons, there were overwhelmingly clear-cut better teams than you. Like Chicago had a 109-point season with 50 wins. Minnesota was nearly at 50 wins. Anaheim was at 46. Edmonton was 47. And even the San Jose Sharks, they were the exact same record as you, but a better goal differential. And then the next season, there was the overwhelmingly clear favorite team in that division. Also, excuse me, this one feels like and if I remember correctly, Doug made those moves with Stastny and Shattenkirk because he said, despite our record, I don't feel like this is a team that can, can go the distance in the playoffs. If they at least improve, I still don't see a clear-cut favorite in the Western Conference. So that could also deter, deter uh, Doug Armstrong's thought process with this team. So I just did the math real quick. I'm glad that you gave me a little bit of time to filibuster here. Oh, good. So that was a pointless comment. So I'm glad I brought that to the table. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. If the Blues went 15-9-3 in this stretch, <laughs> you have to stop drinking that. You are whistling on the radio. <laughs> if the Blues went 15-9-3 uh, prior to the deadline, that would give them the same record as they had when they traded Kevin Shattenkirk. 15-9-3. and a pretty darn good record it would be the best sustained hockey that this team has played all season long that ain't good enough like you're you're gonna have to win potentially like 20 of your next 27 to really put yourself in a situation where Doug Armstrong believes in this team and that's where I'm getting to what you just said Alex I was listening for what it's worth where it the way that you can convince army that you are as good as your record says that you are at that point in time is to do something like that we said 3-1-1 one, and one was a successful road trip. you got to sustain that that type of winning percentage, that type of points percentage for the next 27. Like If you can do that, all right, now we can talk about adding. Otherwise, I, I think that we are in a place where maybe it does make sense for them to sell, man. And I hear what you're saying on the West not being what it was then and that there is no clear-cut number one favorite. That being said... It's hard for me to see some of these teams that are in the West and what they're playing without right now and not then also say, are the Blues as good as them? Because the Blues were pretty healthy for most of the season, and this is where they're at. Vegas is not healthy right now. Colorado hasn't been healthy all year long, and they're still better than you. Like, they're without Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog and, like, a couple other pieces right now, and they're six points ahead of you while playing two fewer games than you. It's just hard to see how you make up that that lack of ability right now without going on a crazy run. It's going to take something probably unsustainable for them. And, and I think the Blues are in a unique, unique spot, too, because typically when we're talking about a team like that, it's typically a team that's got like some, like, okay, unrestricted free agents. The Blues will have two of the six best guys that will be on the trade board when you get to the deadline if they decide to sell. If they it might w- have the two best that end up actually becoming available. Yeah, and if you if it was just, like, Achari, Miklo, or your UFAs, O'Reilly had another year, Tarasenko had another year, I think it's a different story. But because you have arguably the two best pieces on the trade board, I think it becomes more enticing to lean towards that side of selling if you're Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues. And then I also think with that being said, like, it comes down to a bidding war because Patrick Kane goes to, let's say the New York Rangers 
Well, then there are two other teams that need a scoring winger yep. that go right to Vladimir Tarasenko. Bo Horvat comes off the table, or if Jonathan Taves says he wants to be traded, he comes off the table. Team misses out. Colorado misses out. They're calling the Blues about Ryan O'Reilly, and you get into desperation mode, especially if the West is this wide open, because there will be a lot of teams fighting for a player to make them better so that they feel like they're on the same level as the top-tier teams. Do you think there's some part of Doug Armstrong that says to himself, kind of excited? About the notion of a retool? Like, I don't think he'll look at it as a rebuild at first. I think it would have to fail first in a retool, and then that would force them into a rebuild, just because that's kind of the way that this team operates typically. But do you think there's any portion of him that says to himself, it's going to be fun. Like, I'm going to be able to do some stuff that I have not been able to do in previous years where we were, like, throwing all of our chips in every year to try to get squeeze that much more juice out of the orange. Well, yeah, I think he's absolutely excited because his entire tenure here in St. Louis was taking over a team that was already in the midst of a rebuild and putting them into contention. And in the last 10, 12 years, it's just been competing every single season as one of the top teams. I think the excitement also comes into play of you're going to be in uncharted waters if you're Doug Armstrong because you might have the opportunity to draft in the top 15 in the NHL, which you have not done. This team could draft top 10, top 5. <laughs> Especially if you're trading pieces away because let's say they make a trade on March 2nd, March 3rd at the trade deadline. There's still at least 20 games to be played in the regular season and you lose your captain and one of your top goal scorers, there's going to be a little of an identity shift into who this team is. So Don't forget yeah. about Mikko and Barbie too. In a chari, we'll throw in him a chari, we'll throw in him in there too. No, 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 no! Don't you take Noel Chari and me. Luke Witkowski. No, no. What? And Logan That's... Brown, restricted oh, yeah. free agent status. Get but I also here. think you look at it as your Doug Armstrong and say, "I'm in also a different spot than other teams because other teams don't aren't willing to spend to the cap." And you got an owner that's going to say, yeah, throw everything we want at it so that you can spend money and make trades and draft eligible players, which is the recipe to put yourself back into contention. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to dive into some NFL quick hitters, including which teams do you want to see in the NFL playoffs this year? There's a bunch of spots still up for grabs. We'll tell you who our top choices would be coming up in 15 minutes. But next, bragging rights was awesome, at least from my perspective. Tanner, was it great from your perspective? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Pumped away by Hodge. Fifth turnover the last five minutes for Illinois. Into the corner three. Has the building on Brown his feet. on the brakes. And another Mizzou three. This time it's DeGray. Illinois started cold. They were up and down. And Missouri never gave him a chance to come up for air after a 15-0 run in the first half. M-I-Z-Z-O-U. We got it. There's a pause no, there. No, it's I not. Know you're not a Missouri fan. And you've never been to a Mizzou game in your life. I was going with the smart play. I'm proud of my Tigers. After Our the fight tigers. that they showed against the Illini, you can't claim them, man. Yeah, you you can't, just can't you do it. You picked Wake Our Forest. Tigers, I like Illinois minus six and a half. You picked Wake Forest, man. Listen, I have said all year, I really like this Mizzou team. I did not know how good they are. I, I think that I'm starting to, to see that they are pretty good. I think they were blinded by the lights against Kansas. Sing I, it, T-Bone. 
Blinded by the light. I think the stage, the stage was too big for them. They were not prepared for it. They still got good shots in that game. You remember watching that, Alex. Like it, it felt like if they could just get some of those to go down, they would have been in it potentially at halftime and maybe given themselves more of a chance. It just it got too far out of reach too early, and it was over really by like the 10-minute mark of that game. This was very different. They were fully prepared for Illinois. And to be fair, the Illini are a much better opponent for Mizzou, given the way that Missouri plays. They want to pressure you. They want to get out and run. And Illinois plays into all of that stuff. And Illinois has got its own stuff to work out. We'll get to them here in just a minute. I think Missouri might be a tournament team. I mean, you start looking at this resume. They've got a quad one win against UCF. Got a quad one win now against Illinois. They got a decent win against Wichita State. Their only their only loss on the season, and it's not even really a bad one, is a big margin, but against Kansas. If they go something like 500 in SEC play, I think they're going to have a real chance to be able to make the NCAA tournament this year. What we have seen Dennis Gates do with this program, I was talking to uh, my in-laws this weekend about it. They're excited about Missouri basketball, and they haven't cared about Missouri basketball in like three or four years since the Michael Porter Jr. season with Mizzou. And the reason why is because they're fun to watch, dude. Like this team gets up and down the court. Demoy Hodge is a excellent shooter. Kobe Brown is playing some of the best basketball that we've seen from him in his time at Mizzou, and they have an obvious identity. You know exactly what they're trying to do going into every single game, and they accomplished everything they set out to do against Illinois Alex, are you getting excited about Mizzou basketball as the fraudulent Missouri Tigers fan that you are? Yeah, okay, Wake Forest. I absolutely am getting excited for this. This is the first time I've been excited about Mizzou basketball since I think I was in high school. Like, Whoa. I mean, it's been a while. It's been <laughs> yeah. a while. All right, what's, we had to go through the Kim Anderson era. We had to go through... I mean, Frank Haith was a fun time. Eh. No, not really. It's that early on it was. I, I, I'm with you. Like, I think Kobe Brown and Demoy Hodge have been my two favorite players to watch. Like, they just... The style that they bring, and it sucks that they're seniors, but like we've talked about in the past, the fact that you were able to dominate the transfer portal uh, really gives you some optimism with Dennis Gates. So, uh, yeah, I think they're they're a tournament team. Like, just looking at the SEC, and I know nobody's really started conference play, but, I mean, is it too far outlandish to say that they're a top-five team in the SEC? Top-five? Yeah. I don't know, man. The SEC is pretty decent this year. Arkansas is very good. Kentucky is very good. Alabama is very good. Tennessee's good. Auburn's good. I, they're in. They're in that like six to seven type of range, probably. I, I mean, it, it is the most excited I have been in a really long time. I, I think they are probably going to be a tournament team, long as they go about five hundred in terms of what you said in the SEC and, and like. They now, like, they play, it's Kentucky Wednesday, right, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. So, it's only like a three-point line, I think. Yeah, it's so, like, I it's, typically... It's, by the way, completely sold out in Columbia. Can't remember the last time that's happened. Yeah, it, I, I think they said this first time back-to-back sellouts, if I remember correctly, like 16-17, if that's I remember awesome. correctly. Um, now, looking at that Mizzou team, I mean, they can compete with anybody because they're so good in transition. And, and like, if they get hot, I mean, look, they play, <laughs> they played great in that game against the Illini. Holy cow, they were hitting every shot. They'd run down the floor and they'd just drill another contested three or they'd get out and just move the ball perfectly, get an open shot. And you were not allowing drill it. anything. Yeah, so like they clearly have an offense that can keep them, A, in games, and B, potentially just where the floodgates open and can run away from teams as they did against the Illini. And for the first time this season, they were in Joe, 
Is it Lenardi? Lenardi's. In his uh, bracketology, they were in as a 10 seed. So I, I think they have a legitimate chance. I, I thought that the Illini would win that bragging rights game because I still question how Missouri's defense will hold up. Kentucky, they're going to have issues with the big man. I, it'll be interesting to see how they fare there. But I, I think they've got a legitimate shot to, at minimum, go 500 in the SEC. I think they could finish above and win one or two rounds in the SEC tournament. And if they do that, I think they're a tournament team. I think you can typically see pretty quickly in college basketball if you've got a good coach or not. I don't think in college basketball it takes as long to turn around a team as it does in college football. Now, sometimes... You don't hit on the right guys through the transfer portal, and year one goes really poorly. You implement your culture. You implement your guys. By year two, you really get it going. But I think typically you get about two years in, you've got a pretty good idea of whether or not you got the right coach. I think I am already comfortable in saying that Missouri got the right guy in hiring Dennis Gates. And the reason why is because, as I mentioned, you look at the roster, the way that he's developed this thing, Like the only returning guys on this roster are Kobe Brown, Caleb Brown, and Ronnie DeGray. That's it. This entire roster was assembled in one offseason by their new head coach, Dennis Gates, and it looks like the pieces fit together. He didn't just assemble talent. He assembled a roster, and that is a very difficult thing to do, especially in one offseason, to be able to go out there and get guys that can hit shots, that play the way that he wants to stylistically, and then you bring in some culture guys too, like a Trey Gomillion or a Sean East, like. He did a really good job of assembling this roster in the offseason. And didn't he get bit, uh, get brought on once the transfer portal signing kind of already started? Like, wasn't he already behind the eight ball? Not really. No, no not okay, really. I thought that, that, that was, was the case at Cleveland State. When he was hired at Cleveland State, he was way behind the eight ball. But I also think for a lot of coaches, like this Isaiah Mosley situation, he was supposed to be their best player this year. Isaiah Mosley has now played in eight games and he's playing about 25% of the minutes for Missouri. He's, he's basically a bit piece. He didn't play in that game against Illinois over the weekend. That could throw a lot of coaches off. And when you have a situation that goes as South as this one has with Mosley and nobody knows what's going on here, but it's apparently not a personal issue or not a um, suspension of any kind. And it's not something where like anything's happened off the court, but they're being very quiet about it. For him to be able to navigate his way through this and still keep everything on the right path, that's super impressive to me as well. And I think it speaks to the kind of leader that he is inside of that locker room. So credit to Dennis Gates. He's doing a hell of a job. On the other side of this game is Illinois. They're a mess. An absolute mess right now. It feels like they're playing seven different styles at any given time. It feels like they're playing one style whenever they have danger on the court, another style whenever he's not out there. They like revert back to what they were last year, and then they want to run up and down, and then they want to play five out. I think Brad Underwood is an excellent college basketball coach. I think he's having a really difficult time adjusting to not having a big man out there on a consistent basis that plays the style that he has played over the last few years with Kofi Coburn. Tanner, what's going on with your team right now? It's an identity crisis, and, and I agree with you. I, I think they're having trouble adjusting to life without Kofi because it was how they had played for the last three years when Kofi was there. So I, I, when they play with Danger, and he, I don't think he started all year, if I remember correctly. When they play with Danger, though, at times it looks like old Illini basketball. It's not as dominant in the post like what it was when they had Kofi, but it looks to be running smoother. When they get off where to your point where danger's not in the lineup or he's not on the floor. It, it looks like a bunch of ISO ball. That's what it looks like to me is I think they want to play this five out where they can rely on cutting and ball movement and spacing, 
The problem is it's become too much of, okay, well, I've got the ball and I'm going to make something happen. I've seen that a lot with Coleman Hawkins. I've seen that a lot recently with Terrence Hawkins Shannon. has to be the most frustrating player to root for. Oh. He's so talented, but my God, is he frustrating to watch, dude. He is my Andre Cabello 2.0. That, that's who he is for me. <laughs> I love that guy. He, he is frustrating to watch. He shoots so many threes and he's not good at it. Honestly, oh. I'm amazed. He's not good and at he's it. not good at ball handling either, but that's a different story. I'm amazed that Brad Underwood was able to make it like health-wise through that game. Uh, he I, looks he looks done with this team. I'm concerned for Brad by the end of the year. Uh, the, <laughs> I'm concerned for Brad. Uh, the, the other part, too, is I don't understand what's going on with Melendez. Melendez got to start again in the bragging rights game. He's been a guy they've been putting in the lineup. And I really liked him last year. I did, too. At times last year, he looked like a sharpshooter, a good three-point guy, good, like, two-guard. And this year, he has struggled mightily. And, again, he was in the lineup yesterday, or, excuse me, in the bragging rights game, played only 12 minutes. And I don't think that was because it was a blowout because he's a guy that they would typically use to get back on track. Sky Clark, another guy, one of their top recruits. I didn't think he played that great in the Bragg and Rides game. Ty Rogers has struggled. Epps has been pretty good. I, I, I think their best player on the floor recently has been Harris, and Harris is a guy that comes off the bench and plays kind of like as that ninth man in the rotation. So I think it's identity crisis, and, and I'll be honest, I'm not saying they're not going to be a tournament team because I think they're, they've got too much talent to not be a tournament team. I'm very concerned about them moving forward because it's one thing to have an identity crisis early on in the year. It's another to the point to where you've got, I think it's Bethune this coming, I think Thursday, if I remember correctly, they start Big Ten play next week at Northwestern, and the Big Ten is loaded. So to have an identity crisis, get ready to go into Big Ten conference tournament play where they have, I think it's 10 teams in the top, I think 50 or top 60 of net rankings, it's it's bad timing for the Illini. Very concerned getting into conference play. So that Baylor transfer, Matthew Meyer. Yeah. He's your best shooter. Yes. Who's number two? Hmm. And this, I think this is their biggest issue right now, is that shooting is at such a premium in college basketball, especially if you don't have a true big man. And Danger, while he's been he's been solid this year, he's not your typical, like he is not what Kofi Coburn was. He's not a player that you revolve your entire offense around by any stretch of the imagination. If you don't have a true big man and you don't have good shooting, you don't have an offense in today's day and age. And their problem right now is they don't have consistent shooting that they can rely upon. And in recent years, they've always had under Brad Underwood one of those two things. Really good shooting, really good inside presence, or both at times. This team seems to have neither. I, I think the, I, I think right now, if you were asking me who's their second best shooter, I think they'd probably say Terrence Shannon. But he's to me is more of kind of the attack the basket. He's he, a slasher. He he hit a couple of threes. Like he was awesome in the game. I think it was UCLA where he hit like a new tied the record at Illinois. With, I think it was like seven or eight threes in a game. But he's a guy that like he's either hot or he's cold from the three point line. And he is a slasher. He's a he kind of get into the paint, rise up there, draw some contact, get to the free throw line. I think they hope Melendez is that guy, but again, he's just been going through it this year. He's shooting 32.5% from three-point range, so his struggles are, are kind of that after-effect that I think they're feeling, and to your point, yeah, if you don't have a big man, then it, it's hard to play this way without this kind of shooting, and, and Hawkins isn't that guy. None of the freshmen that I've seen have that kind of shot. Sky Clark doesn't shoot the three well. Epps isn't that great from the three-point line. I don't know. They're in an identity issue, and it's going to be a problem, I think, going into Big Ten play. Mizzou back in action tomorrow night against Kentucky. That should be a fun one. It's in Columbia. It is a sold-out crowd. Kentucky is very good this season. It's like a three-point line right now. So Vegas is giving Missouri a real chance to be able to beat Kentucky at home. We'll see if that one is able to be a, a second consecutive 
uh, ranked victory for the Tigers. That is tomorrow night. The Illini back in action on Thursday against Bethune-Cookman. That is a tune-up game, and then they get back into action with a Big Ten matchup next Wednesday at Northwestern. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into the junk drawer, but next, NFL quick hitters, including if you could determine, you get to make the case for your end-of-the-road Playoff teams, who are your wildcard teams this year? Who do you want to see get in? I'll tell you our answers on that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. some NFL quick hitters. Alex, let's start out with what I teased. You get to choose the final two teams in the playoffs. In the AFC and the NFC, we'll start in the AFC. You get to pick two of the following. Just based on your own preference of who you would rather see in the playoffs. The Jaguars, the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Jets, the Titans, and the Steelers. Those six teams, you get to pick two of them. They're all still technically in the hunt. You are required technically to put one of the South teams in. What the hell? Jags, Dolphins, put the Raiders Patriots, Jets, Titans, Steelers. Jags and Dolphins. I don't think there's any argument for the any of the other ones. Titans with no Tannehill, that doesn't intrigue me. Hell no on the Steelers. If Mike White's healthy for the Jets, then yeah, maybe, but no, mine would be the, the Jags and the Dolphins. I think mine would be the Jags for sure. I think I think they're a team that could even win a game in the playoffs. Let's assume Tua's in. Tua can, can play okay, in the that, playoffs. That's what I was going to say. If, if Tua's in, I, I think I agree with Alex. I would go Dolphins. If Tua's out, I would probably say the Jets with Mike White because I think they're more hmm. high-flying than uh, like the Patriots. I have no interest in Bill Belichick and the Patriots. The Titans, I have no interest in because they're just Derrick Henry, and I already know how that game's going to go. And the Steelers, whoa, ugh, I don't yuck. even know why they're even on that. Yeah. Because they're technically still alive. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, they're not alive. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're going to lose probably this week. They so. have the same record as the Jets. I mean, this is the thing with the AFC right now is everybody is either 8-7 and seven or 7-8 seven and eight in, this, in this respect. I'm with you guys. The two most appealing are very clearly the Jaguars and the Dolphins because I like the forward pass. It is a part of the game that I enjoy watching personally. You don't like the run? The Titans, the Steelers, and the Patriots are allergic to the forward pass. The The Jets have a chance to complete some here or there. Garrett Wilson has been an, an outstanding watch so far this season. I just don't really feel like I need to watch any more of the Jets this year. I've had my fill of them. So I would go with the Jags and the Dolphins as well. But like you said, if Tua is out, then I would probably put the Jets in over the Dolphins. In the NFC, I'm going to eliminate the NFC South competition because, frankly, I don't care. That's exciting. I just don't care. What do you mean you're eliminating it? When it comes to the wild card part of things, though, Alex... Out of the Giants, Commanders, Seahawks, Lions, and Packers, you get to pick two for the final two spots in the playoffs. Who would you want to see in? Giants, Commanders, Seahawks, Lions, Packers. Uh, I think Lions, obviously, the clear cut for me. I think I would probably go the Giants, too. Um, And I know you just said that you like the pass game, and that's obviously not the Giants' MO. But, I don't know, their defense slash... It's kind of this mystery of what the hell Daniel Jones is going to do in a game that makes it a little bit intriguing. So I'd like to see a little bit of pure chaos for one game. So I'll take Giants and Lions 
I would definitely go with the Lions because I their offense is fun to watch. Amon St. Brown, Jared Goff just slinging the football. They're, they're a fun team. And Dan Campbell. Until they run up against the fighting Panthers. Well, hopefully they don't win the <laughs> NFC South. That was a, that was a <laughs> we don't care about this game moment. Yeah, I... I, the Lions, for sure. I, I really don't want to see the Packers just because no, I want to. Oh, God, I, no, I, I don't think they're a good no. team, and I, I want to hear Aaron Rodgers pout some more. Uh, the other team I'm going to pick, and this might surprise you guys, uh, I'm going the Seahawks. I want to see Geno. Supposedly they didn't call him, or they called no. him, he didn't call back something. No, they wrote him, him off, and he didn't Sorry. write back. Gino has been playing well enough for me to remember the catchphrase. But I, I just like He's the story. really struggled lately. I, I just like the storyline. game against the Chiefs, man. I like the storyline of back. them getting in and Russ watching his team win like four games. So I, I just enjoy the storyline. I don't have as much interest in the Giants and Commanders. The Commanders would have been fun if Heineke was there, but they're going back to Wentz, it feels like, and we know how that's going to go. And the Giants, I, I just don't have a lot of interest in them. They're just kind of blah. I mean, and to your point on Jones being a mystery, I don't find that fun. Uh, can I change my answer? Because I think I'm with the Seahawks now. Just for the pure disappointment and misery of Denver Broncos fans. Oh, that would be amazing. Seahawks and Lions. That'd be Denver radio would be great the next day. I mean, they already know they suck. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, let Gino win a playoff game. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going Giants and Lions as well. Now, the li- that surprises me. <laughs> the Lions are the team that I'm actually cooling on a little bit. Their, their offense has slowed down in recent weeks. And their defense is terrible, but th- I'm putting them in for their offense. So I'll go ahead and take them. I need to see him do it, though. Like, they got to finish this thing off the right way against the Bears and the Packers. If you're a real playoff team, you should win those last two games, get into the playoffs. You find yourself at 9-8. and eight. It'd be a hell of a season for the Detroit Lions, given what the expectations were coming into the year. So Giants and the Lions for me. I love this Giants story, man. Brian Dable's an awesome head coach. He has done such a great job with that team. They know exactly what they are. They know they have to muck up the game. They know that it's going to be ugly. Daniel Jones is bad like 70% of the time, but he'll have five good plays a game where you're like, huh, Danny Dimes, good play by you. And Saquon Barkley does just enough to, to remind you that he was a top five pick at one point in time. So I'll take the Giants and the Lions as my two NFC teams. Continuing on with the theme of the playoffs. Can the Panthers do something if Mm. they get in? (laughs) I know it's crazy to suggest. Florida? Because at one point in time, the Carolina Panthers were two and seven. They are now six and nine and have a real chance to be able to make the postseason. They are controlling their own destiny the rest of the way. If they win out, they're going to get in. Guys, do you think if they get in, they could beat the Cowboys in a first-round matchup, which is all but assured right now? I don't think so. Okay. I think it's a fun story, but no, I don't think they can. Yeah. I, Their defense is how they win games. I don't. I just don't feel like in they— In the running game. Their running game is unbelievable right now. They how much of go- that has been matchup-based, though? Some of it. I mean, the, the Lions had been playing really well against opposing running backs. They had been getting lit up through the air at times, but their, their run defense had been pretty solid. Their running game's been really good, man. I'm still going to say no because I, I just don't think I don't think Sam Darnold can be a quarterback to where if you needed a drive, you could well, go. That's true. Sam Darnold is going to lead us down the field. We're going to win this playoff football PJ game. Walker. I don't even think we'd be having this conversation about P.J. Walker. So I, I don't think so. Could they keep it maybe close with Dallas? 
Sure, but I, I think the Dallas offense can pick apart the Panthers' defense. To your point on the Panthers' running game, I think they could cause some havoc against the Dallas defense, which has really struggled the last handful of games. But I think at some point they can find a way to stop Sam Darnold, force a couple turnovers. I, I don't think they have a legitimate shot to win a playoff game. All right, final thing here in the NFC side of things. Who's the favorite right now? Like, that that's the entire question. For you, as of today, knowing everything that we know about these teams, who would you pick to get out of the NFC? I'm not giving you odds. I'm not saying you got to pick a long shot. It's hard enough as is. So who would you select? Is right it now? with injuries in play for the team? Like Everything as that is? we know. I, I mean, we don't know what the plan is for Jalen Hurts. We don't know what's going to happen with the 49ers. It seems like Brock Purdy is going to be their guy. Everything that we know currently, how do you feel? Who's going to get out of the NFC? This seems crazy that I'm saying it. Dallas. Dallas is the team that I think I would back right now and say, if I get the, it. The 49ers weren't dealing with Brock Purdy because I just don't know what to expect. And the Eagles weren't dealing with their injuries. I'm completely done with the Vikings. And I know they've won all of these nail biters, but I just don't trust them in a playoff game. It's Dak. It's this offense. And it's the way that the defense has been playing for the Cowboys. I think I would still go with Philly. I, I know Hurts is dealing with the shoulder injury. I, I think they're just being precautious. I think if this was a playoff game, he could play, and I think he could still lead the Phillies to a victory. I, I love their defense. I, I'm going with the Philadelphia Eagles. I, what happened? I, Phillies. Oh, well, I think he said the Cardinals earlier, too. Uh, I, I think the Eagles of Philadelphia are the best in the NFC. I, I agree with that. I just don't know what to think of what Brock Purdy's going to do in the playoffs. The Vikings, they've been a pleasant surprise, but you can't keep winning games by one score. At some point, that's going to break. can't keep getting away with this. Uh, yes, exactly. And then Daniel, Danny Dimes is Danny Pick. Washington, I don't know. And then Dallas, I just don't trust their defense Careful right with now. that Danny Pick. Um... <laughs> You always got to be careful with Danny Pick. Uh, <laughs> NFC winner right keep now. Saying in terms Stop of, saying Danny Pick. In terms of the uh, FanDuel Sportsbook odds, the Eagles are the heavy favorite at plus 170. So you bet $100, you win $170 on them. The 49ers are next at 3-1, to one, and the Cowboys are at 4.5-1. to one. 49ers defense is awesome. I don't know if I trust that offense in the playoffs, guys. Well, and even their defense, you just you got lit up by Washington there this week. I thought that was going to be a good game. I think I trust Dallas more than I trust San Francisco right now. If San Francisco had Jimmy Garoppolo, I would be picking them and I wouldn't even be thinking twice about it. A Brock party just gives me enough hesitation to mm-hmm. where what I've seen lately from the Cowboys gives me some belief. I know they struggled against the Texans. I think they were just overlooking that game. They wanted to get to the Philadelphia Phillies or Eagles game. Phillies of Philadelphia. Or Flyers. I also think that there is a lot of disrespect that's being placed on the Minnesota Vikings right now. They're going to win some nail biters in the playoffs, or they're, if they're going to advance, they're going to have to win nail biters. Man, they're, they have arguably the best player in football right now in Justin Jefferson. The guy's will, unbelievable. He's not always open. I, I think he's a top five candidate. I think he should win the freaking MVP for okay. how he's played. Well, that's crazy. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And <laughs> he I'm just Brandon said he's Kiley. the best player in the game. BK here on 101 ESPN. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes most does play. Player. <laughs> In 10 minutes, it's Patrick Mahomes. What is the answer for the Blues on the power play now that they are going to be likely without Tory Krug for the next four to six weeks? Say it with me. I'll tell you who it's not going to be. I don't know why, though. We'll get into that coming up in 15 minutes. The junk drawer is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. 
Zier, Comfort Service Tax Line to get involved in the show coming up here in about five minutes or so. What is the answer for the Blues on the power play while Tori Krug is out? We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. Alex, I saw this tweet over the weekend. I think you and I can at least discuss this. Tanner, I know that you don't have a washer dryer in your house. Maybe things are a little bit different for you. There was a tweet that came up about a generational divide that has taken place. They said there's a generational divide that is among us. I have never met anyone under the age of 40 who separates their laundry into likes, lights, excuse me, and darks. And I think this is crazy to me. Please discuss. So they're saying that they don't know anybody who separates their laundry in lights and darks? If I had to guess, if I know anything about Alex Ferrario, I have to assume you're a guy that goes whites, darks, jeans delicates like you've got 20 different piles of laundry in your house okay okay so (laughs) pre-children alex i always separated whites lights darks delicates like that's how we did and then towels now with kids Hell no. Just throw it's it on. Lights, darks, kids' clothes, towels. Because I am not. A, I got to do laundry every other day. <laughs> the, the amount of vomit that from, from our youngest on her clothes and the amount of food that gets on my other daughter's clothes, it's like, all right, got the laundry today. So, no, I, I used to be that way. When, my, when I first moved in with my wife, uh, then girlfriend, now wife, she would just throw all of her clothes in at once. I'd be like, what, what a psycho. What are you doing? No, Kara. Like, jeans are in with red shirts, are in with white t shirts. I was like, oh my God. It, it like gave me a brain. Did she turn all of her clothes pink? No, somehow no. Um, Alex, you know I, I, I have a bit of an OCD streak in me. Oh, yeah. And when I saw this the first time, I was like, Oh, I, I don't think I can do this. I, I don't. This is not going to work out between the two of this us. This is when you ran to the closet. To That's hide. right. And she's over the years changed her ways a bit. Now it's just like darks and then everything else. Who does the laundry more? You or her? Well, she does hers. I do mine. Oh, really? So we okay. both like it done a certain way. Oh, and okay. it just yeah. makes it easier see, for both of us. See, I don't do jeans separately. And I don't think I've ever done jeans separately. I just throw them in with the darks. Same. That's what I do. I don't just because like, do you know, you're not supposed to technically wash your jeans unless they get like super dirty. Yeah, you're supposed to wear them like I think you're supposed to wear them like three or four times before you wash them. The Levi's guy says you just wear them. I you don't you don't wash, wash your jeans. I wash mine every time. I hang dry those, though, and that sucks even more. Really? Like, no, I hate why? the fact that you got to take them. Well, because if you dry them and if you dry them incorrectly, they continue to shrink over time. And then you turn them into oh, skinny so that's jeans. That's my problem. I haven't gained weight. Okay. Go. Well, no. <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> Maybe a now little bit I know. The other problem, too, is like, so I do a lot of, I mean, my wife does a lot of it, too, but I do a lot of the laundry because it's just like a Sunday routine for me. I take it all down and I throw them in there. So like the delicates, you usually do those separately. Mm-hmm. Now, those just don't get done. Now they just get thrown <laughs> in with everything. And my wife's, my wife's bras are just destroyed now <laughs> because I'm just throwing them in with everything else. She's like, why are all these falling apart? Be like, yeah. I don't know. Do you throw it into the dryer? Oh, yeah. You know, you're not supposed to try this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, when you get kids, it's just a matter of I got 30 seconds to run down and throw this in. So pile, go into the dryer. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was our laundry talk for the day. Coming up in 15 <laughs> minutes, we'll play Dr. game of in or out. You guys give us a scenario. We will tell you if we are in or out. But coming up next, I'm very out on Colton Pareko on the power play. For some reason, the Blues keep doing that, though. We'll tell you why. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. What I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Is Nick Letty to be on the power play? I'm not going to get it, though. Alex, it sounds like we are going to be without Tori Krug for at least the next four to six weeks. He's going to be out with some kind of lower body injury. And with him out, they got to replace him on the power play. Colton Pareko is expected to be the next man up. Earlier today, Craig Berube out at practice was asked about that power play unit and what he's hoping to see from Colton Pareko. More than anything, just quicker puck movement, you know, like get get a step ahead a little bit and move that puck quick. But again, using that shot, that's a big thing, especially off a pass. If he can one-time it, that's a dangerous shot. That's why he's on the power play. What he just said there at the end. The power play one time. The one time. They're going to watch for Colton Pareko to get teed up on the right side for a one-timer shot. That's why he is on this power play. They were playing forward chess all along. They were waiting for this. They knew Tory Krug was going to get hurt at some point. Are you and saying they, they planned on Tory Krug getting hurt? Yeah, and they knew that their replacement for David Perron on the power play was Colton Pareko. How could I not see this all along? DPCP, I mean, the letters are right there yeah. for you, so I don't know how you didn't see it. Two, two numbers off. Really. In all yeah. seriousness. How long do you think Colton Pareko stays on the power play? Do you think he runs with this? Yeah, I think he's going to run with this because uh, unless do you? Because it doesn't sound no, it like doesn't. You, you're not saying it with your chest. No, I'm trying to come up with the right phrase with it. They're going to give him every opportunity to take this because they've been wanting him to be the power play guy. But the problem is they've always had better options in front of him. Alex Petrangelo's they been there. Do. I don't. I don't know if they believe Nick Letty is a better option. Like, they've tried Nick Letty on the power play, and it didn't work. I, I think it was fine. Like their power play with him last year was okay. I, they, I, don't think they can, I don't think they can afford to have somebody who is fine on the power play. I think they need somebody who could be a difference maker. I'm not saying Colton Pareko is a difference maker. I'm saying they're looking for something, a quality that they have not had on the power play all season long, I, and I, that's Colton Pareko's slap shot. To your point, looking that's for what, a difference maker, though we kind of, all three of us agree here, Pareko not a difference maker on the power play. In theory, he is, and that's what that one-time shot. Yeah, what and, does and Nick Letty provide that's different from Callie Rosen on the power play? Puck moving. But Callie Rosen's the exact same puck mover as Nick Letty. No, he's not. N- Nick Letty's a legitimately good puck mover. Callie Rosen is too. Nick, Callie Rosen's fine. Nick Nick Letty is being paid $4 million for one reason, and one reason only. To get and the it, puck out reasons. of his own zone. Moving the puck... And skating. Those are the two skills that got Nick Letty paid here in St. Louis. They're the two skills that got Nick Letty paid previously as well. And those two skills suit you well on the power play. It has in his entire history in the NHL. And for some reason, once he got to St. Louis, he no longer was a member of the power play after what? The first like 10 games or so. He's basically there for like 10 games, power play unit, boom, gone. No, no longer to be seen. And then in the playoffs, it got to the point where they were like, yeah, Scott Perunovich, you're exclusively going to play power play minutes for us because we need you out there. I, listen, it doesn't matter what I think because the Blues clearly disagree with my assessment of this. They view it as Justin Falk's going to be on a power play unit. Colton Pareko's going to be on the power play unit. And they want that shot of Colton Pareko on the PP. I, I just disagree with it. 
And I am very curious to see how it goes. And if it doesn't go well for Pareko, because basically every time he's been on the power play, it has not gone well for the most part. I, I wonder who the next man up would be. I don't think you're crazy, Alex, for suggesting that it could be Callie Rosen. I would go with Nick Letty, but the reason I think all of this is important is because this is not the same dominant team at five on five as they have been in recent years. This is a team that needs its special teams to be able to step up. And as we've seen lately, the penalty kill has been outstanding. The power play has been solid. It's kind of reverted back to the middle of the pack right now. And that's allowed them to boost their overall performance as a result. If they end up taking another step back on the power play where now it goes back to the bottom 10 or so in the NHL, that's going to be a problem for this team because they, they don't consistently win at five on five. Yeah. And I mean, we saw the the effects of five on five play against Seattle and Vegas where they kind of beat you at your own game. And some of that can be labeled as exhaustion from their road trip. But you got to be. You got to be top 10 in one of those categories. And I think it's more important to be better on the penalty kill than the power play. But I think if, that's also the one that's more likely to be top 10. This yeah. Year. And I, but I also think that your power play, if it's middle of the pack means your even strength play has to be much better. Like you just pointed out. And I don't think their even strength play is at that level. Now, some of that was because you didn't have Jordan Cairo because Jordan Cairo is able to extend the depth of those lines. If Cairo's playing, you don't have a third third line that is Barbashev, Achari, and Tor. Um, no, not Torpchenko. Who was on that third line earlier today? Levo. Levo. Thank oh, you. Yeah. And that's because they don't really have anything going with Braden Shen because he's the center position. You got more depth when Cairo's in the lineup. So maybe your even strength improves because it did in that five game stretch prior to the Seattle Kraken and the Vegas loss. But your power play at least has to be middle of the pack. And right now with no Tory Krug, my only concern is that that's going to take a significant dip. So if it does and the Blues end up struggling going into the trade deadline, there are questions as to what the plans are going to be. It sure seems like they would sell off in such a scenario. But Alex, earlier today over at The Athletic, they put together a piece with their predictions 3.0 so they put their predictions out for the preseason they put them out in november it seems like they're going to update this every month to say okay what has changed over the last month how do our predictions now look and what would we have today as opposed to a month ago the beginning of the season they had the first coach fired odds and of all of their writers about 18 percent of them said dj smith with senators would be the first coach fired um at at the next check-in my guy, Bruce Boudreaux, Bruce was Boudreaux. the clear-cut number one most likely coach to be fired, and he continues to be the number one most likely coach to be fired. The beginning of the season, Craig Burby was at a 2%. In November, it was at 20%. It's now at 11%. Alex, this should be at 0%. Craig Berube is not going to be the first coach fired, and I understand that this team is underperforming relative to what our expectations were, but the president of hockey operations came out like, 13 games into the season and said, guys, we are not firing the coach. We could make some moves. It is possible that these players are going to have to be removed from the equation. The coach is going to be here. We know Craig Burby is a good coach. They just extended him. I don't understand why these types of arguments continue to be brought up. Uh, it's it's dumb. I mean, I just I respect so much about the athletic, but I don't even know why we're putting a percentage on Craig Burby going anywhere because Craig Berube is the guy 
that if I'm going to retool or rebuild my team, I'm keeping him at the helm of it. What's the point of firing a head coach who you want to be around your younger players and grooming them into being NHL players? We've done this rodeo before where a head coach has been fired because the players haven't worked. Heck, you did it two guys back-to-back in Ken Hitchcock and Mike Yo. And Doug Armstrong said it so that Craig Berube is not going anywhere. You don't sign him to the extension unless you believe he is the guy in place. So if this is destined to be a retool mode or a rebuild mode, Doug Armstrong is going to want Craig Berube in place because if he's fired, I guarantee you there will be at least 15, maybe more teams that will fire their head coach at the moment to bring Craig Berube on as their new head coach. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, week 17 might serve as a type of a bye week for the Titans and the Jaguars. How would you handle this? And there's one coach that is being connected to the Broncos right now that if I was him, I would have no interest in going to Denver. We'll tell you about that coming up in 15 minutes, in or out, coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service what? text line for in or out. Doubtful. Yeah. His was awful. <laughs> Absolute. Right. It, it sounded. Jealous. What did it sound like? <laughs> Yeah, it sounded like a dead raccoon. Way to go, man. On the side of the road, squealing for its life. Uh, 65780 is the air covered service X line for in or out. You give us a scenario, we will tell you if we are in or out. Guys, in or out, the Cardinals should trade Jack Flaherty for another arm, whether it be a reliever or a starter. I'm very much out on this. If you trade Jack Flaherty right now, you are trading him at the lowest possible point to get any sort of a return. Makes no sense. And you're trading your only potential ace on your team. So now what are you going to hold on hope to? That Miles Michaelis and Jordan Montgomery can be the ace for you? Like... Your staff takes a massive blow unless you're getting something really good in return. So, yeah, I'm 110% out on this. I agree with you guys. I'm out on this. I, you don't sell low on a guy like Jack Flaherty because he's too talented when he's healthy. And to your point, Alex, you don't have that guy that's waiting in the wings to be an ace. Had they signed like Carlos Rodon and Flaherty was coming off a healthy year, then, yeah, I would hear the argument of selling high on Jack Flaherty. But there's no reason to do it right now. It, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 65780 is the error covered service X line for in or out. Guys, in or out, the Blues decide not to buy or sell at the deadline and decide to stand pat the way that they have done in recent years. Out. There's no way that that happens for Doug Armstrong. You're either buying or you're selling because standing pat, standing pat means, means you believe internally that you've got guys who can step their game up. And I don't know what else you can see from the players that you have right now that makes you believe you've got somebody that's going to improve your offense with what you have. So yeah, I'm out on this. I'm out on this as, as well. I, I I don't like when GMs decide to either A, stay in pat, or B, buy and sell. I, I think that's the wrong mistake. I think you're either a buyer or you're a seller. I, I don't think there should be an in-between. So I'm out on this right now. It feels like they're trending towards selling, but I, I don't think they should just stand back. They've got too good assets to either add yes. to this group for one final run, one last hurrah, or just sell off and get as many picks as possible. You can't or, miss this prospect. You can't miss this opportunity to where you could potentially go into this upcoming offseason with three first round draft picks. Yeah, it, it's crazy the notion to me of standing pat. 
You got to decide. You got to either bleep or get off the pot, but there is no in-between. You you can't be half pregnant in this one. This is a spot where you have to decide what are we going to do? What is our direction? And you determine your off-season direction at the trade deadline. That's when you decide what the what the trajectory is going to be. Uh, 65780 is your comfort service X line. Guys, in or out, the Cardinals should bring in Trevor Bauer. I can't tell you how out I am on this. I'm surprised and also, people are even bringing this up. I can't tell you how out the Cardinals would be on this. The Cardinals like care about the character of the guys that they bring in, especially on free agent deals. You think this clubhouse and the group of players that they no have chance. would be on board with that type of play? This dude, even beyond what happened off the field, this dude took a ball and threw it into center field. You think Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt are going to be cool with that? Yeah, no, this team's not this is ridiculous. Him in. No chance whatsoever. I don't know if a team brings him in. Yeah, I agree with this. I, I think Bauer's done in Major League Baseball. I, I can't see a team. I mean, the Dodgers were fed up with it yeah. and paid what was it, forty million dollars to get rid of him. So he'll go to Japan or Korea and play. Yeah, I, I think it's over for Bauer in Major League Baseball. And again, he just doesn't fit what the Cardinals are looking for in guys. So I agree with you guys. I'm out. Uh, in or out, the Blues road trip was a success. I'm in on this. I'm I think it was this. a success. It, it wasn't enough to make me believe like they're going to go uh, win 20 of their next 27 but I'm in on this you it played, was a success you played four games in six days like and you took seven out of a possible 10 points like that's absolutely a success the problem is us feeling like it's a success and us buying into this team being a playoff contender are two very different conversations I agree with you all the way I, I'm in on it being a success but just based on the way the team has played and how far back they are right now looking at the standings it's hard to say it was a road trip that got me to buy back in, but I, I will agree that it was a success. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Guys, in or out, the Cardinals should deal for Chris Sale. We talked about this a little bit earlier today, so we don't have to expand too much on it. If you missed our uh, comments on it, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Hire and Auto Centers. I am, I'll say in to a degree, there are certain circumstances in which I think it makes sense for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Those circumstances I don't think would make sense for the Red Sox, though. And that's where the the tough part is. You would have to be able to unload the Paul DeYoung deal in this scenario. And then you would have to have the Red Sox paying for like half of his salary. If you're paying $12 million a year over the next couple of years for Chris Sale, sure. I think he could make a ton of sense for the Cardinals. And then in a worst case scenario, he's a high velocity lefty reliever coming out of the bullpen with a bunch of swing and miss stuff for you. In a best case scenario, he ends up being the number one starter that you were missing. But I'm out most likely because I don't think that the Red Sox would ex- would take such a deal. You forget one of the scenarios. He's got to keep his scissors in Boston if he comes to St. Louis. <laughs> uh, I'm out on this as, as well just because I don't see the scenario in which this deal would happen. I agree, though. If you if you could get him here and offload like the DeYoung contract and say it took like a Matthew Libertor to make the deal work out for the Red Sox, I'd be in because he's got such a great upside. But I just don't know what he is. He can't stay healthy. He's less healthy than what I was afraid to give Carlos Rodon on his contract. So I- I'm out on this. Uh, 65780 is your comfort service X line. Guys, in or out, the Cardinals will make at least one more significant move before opening day of 2023. How? You can determine what significant means. There is nothing significant. A long reliever. Ah, Missed your opportunity with Craig Kimbrell. Uh, I'm, I'm out just because I'm not sure that whoever the bullpen arm is that they bring in is going to be viewed as significant. I, I do think they add something, but I... I I just can't be it seen. I can't see it being anything significant, so I'm out on this. You call one. Eric Hosmer significant? He's a name. I mean, he's not making any. He he would be a less significant addition than last offseason with Corey Dickerson. So I don't think people consider Corey Dickerson to be significant, right? Speak for yourself. I liked yeah. the Dickerson signing. I did I too. Thought it was a good one. I didn't. I wanted Colin Moran. See what he did. Would you? 
You guys remember when I got bleeped all over because I oh. said Ben Gamble would be a good offseason addition for this Cardinals team? How you guys feeling about Ben Gamble today? Still feeling like that would be a bad move? Yeah, he's trash. Yeah. Way to pump your own tires there, BK. Take that bleep elsewhere. Yeah. Tyler Naquin, back to, Ben Gamble. Head back to Pittsburgh with that bleep. David Peralta or Eric Cosmer. You get to add one of those four. Who are you going with? Gamble, Naquin, Peralta, or Hosmer. Peralta's almost a tough one to add into this because he's kind of in a different category. I'd go Hosmer. Really? And Cosmer would be fourth on my list, to be totally honest with you. And I, just, I don't know the role for Hosmer. I know, like, in theory, it's like, oh, it's the pool. I don't know role, if the role for any of those guys. I think those guys could take the role of Dickerson. And, like, worst-case scenario, they fill in for, like, O'Neal, someone like that, if he struggles. Look, if he struggles and you're relying on Tyler Naquin or Ben Gamble to help you, this is the lost season. Would you take back Corey Dickerson over any of these guys? <laughs> Defensively, no. I'm out on Corey Dickerson. I'm yeah. good. I think we saw that experiment play out the way that it needed to, and I think we're good. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I'd rather have Gamble or Naquin than I would Corey Dickerson. But I, I, I'll be honest, I don't have that much interest in any of the guys. I'd rather just kind of say what we've talked about. Stay pat with what you have. Yeah, just leave it happens. as is. That's where I'd Gamble. be. I think I would take uh, Ben Gamble. Hold mine. on, you're going to take the guy that you brought up for that scenario? I mean, I brought up all these guys, but people specifically latched on to Ben Gamble as being like, ah, that guy? Someone took that a little personal over the holiday season. Yeah. That's a rough weekend for me, man. 65780 is the air covered service line for in or out. Final one here. Guys, in or out, Jordan Bennington will be floated as we get closer to the trade deadline as a potential trade candidate. Ooh. Didn't we do this last year? We were all he, like, oh, man, he's going to get traded. He didn't. And now he's playing better than what he did last year. Out. Is he playing better than he was last year? Are you kidding me? I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> his numbers say, may not reflect it, but I don't got is. enough energy to it, go into that right it, now. It is wild that his numbers are so poor this year. He's been playing very well. Yeah, I, I'm i going to say out on this because... Do you think they would consider it? No. If they're out of it at the deadline and they're trading O'Reilly... Um, Tarasenko. Tarasenko, Barbie, and Achari... Do you think they would consider moving a Bennington just because of the salary? I don't because I think you, you're going to really try and retool before you rebuild. And I'm if, with you for what it's worth. And it, 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 if this was last season, I would have said in because you had Billy Huso and you said, look, if we could get something for Bennington, we'll keep Huso because he's going to be cheaper. But you've also haven't seen enough, I think, from your minor league goalies that makes you believe that these guys are getting close to being ready. So, no, you need Bennington for at least a couple more years if you feel like um, if you feel like you want to try and retool this offseason. I agree with you. If, if you truly want to try the retool first before the rebuild, you don't move Jordan Bennington because do you feel like he's going to be a part of that retool now, process? Next season, if he's playing well and you're in the same spot, it doesn't work out in your yeah. retool, then you consider moving him and say, now we're going into full-blown rebuild. I, I agree. If you were going to rebuild, I would definitely be floating his name out, out there because there's teams that would probably try to take on a Jordan Bennington contract, and then you could turn it over to your, whether it be Thomas Grice or turn it over to one of the minor leaguers in Hofer, but I, I don't think they're in that spot where they should be looking to trade Bennington. Yeah, I wouldn't trade him. I would like just flat out say I'm not interested. Yeah. At least not right now. Maybe in the next couple of years that becomes something you consider. But Look you're over getting... here, we have Thomas Grice, though. <laughs> uh, you, you joke about that, but it wouldn't surprise me if a team called about Thomas Grice and offered like a fifth round pick sure. for a backup goaltender. Yeah, he, he's been fine this year. But Jordan Bennington, like, you need Jordan Bennington. And I think if you can have the correct offseason this year, 
you could be back in the conversation of a top three, top five team in the Western Conference with Jordan Bennington and the team you put in place. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But next, could Week 17 serve as a bit of a, of a buy for the Titans and the Jaguars? We'll discuss that and why this coach makes no sense, in my opinion, for the Broncos. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kylie. So there's a weird quirk in the schedule that allows for this to be almost a bye week in week 17 for both the Jaguars and the Titans. Alex, it's not exactly that way. And the reason why is just because technically the Jags are still alive for the wild card. They're technically still in it. But there's like a 5% chance of them actually getting the wild card down the stretch without winning their division. So for all intents and purposes, it's a bye week for both the Jaguars this week against the Texans and also the Titans on Thursday night football against the Cowboys. Here's the question that I wanted to ask you. It really applies more to the Titans than it does the Jags. If you're Tennessee, you've got Derrick Henry banged up right now. You have Malik Willis starting at quarterback. You're going up against Dallas where you're a 10-point underdog already. Would you consider resting some starters? Anybody that's banged up in this game, kind of like a fourth preseason game, would you consider doing that this week? Are you asking me as a head coach or are you asking me as a fantasy football owner? Well, oh, definitely not as a fantasy yes, owner because Derek I know Henry a lot of... and Trevor Lawrence in a championship game, so that's going to be frustrating. I mean, Week 18 determines their season. It determines if they can make the playoffs or not. Would you rest Henry this week to get there? Yeah, if, I, if I'm Vrabel, I'm resting Henry, especially because he's had a couple of flare-ups earlier this season. And, like, if you want to go anywhere in the postseason, it's him or bust, especially with no Ryan Tannehill. If I'm Jacksonville, I'm not resting Trevor Lawrence because I want my quarterback to be in the routine and I want him to stay scheduled. Now, I mean, you're going to Jags are playing the Texans like, yeah, you should win that. Yeah. You just you want him in the routine like Derrick Henry. I don't think there needs to be a routine for him. It's just stay healthy and be able to push your way through all of these monsters on the field. So, yeah, if I'm the head coach, I'm going to rest him or maybe play him and use him in a very small role, like maybe only use him in the red zones where you know you're only doing a couple of carries. 65780 is your comfort service tax line from the 314. Guys, if the Jaguars win both, they're in. They control their own destiny. I know. That's what I'm saying. If the Jaguars win both, they are in because they win the AFC South. So they will be the four seed. If the Jaguars lose this week and win next week, they are still in with the exact same scenario where you end up controlling your own destiny because you have the tiebreaker over the Titans. So... That's why I'm saying this week doesn't really matter for either of them. The only way it matters for the Jaguars is if they end up losing next week, winning this week, and somehow getting in with eight wins on the season. That is incredibly unlikely. The The odds of that happening are slim to none. And so the, the overwhelming likelihood is this week literally does not matter for the Jaguars, and it actually does not matter for the Titans because they are so far back in the tiebreakers against the rest of the AFC. So for the Titans... It seems to be very obvious to me. You don't play Derrick Henry this week. I know it's going to make a whole heck of a lot of fantasy owners mad. And this is where like the expansion of the schedule and all this stuff. And this could have happened in any scenario where it's like week 15 instead of week 17, whatever. I think that you don't play Derrick Henry on, especially on a Thursday night. This we this this quick after a turnaround. I I don't think you do it. Here's what 
just for personal reasons. At least say ahead of time that you're not going to do it. Don't pull the T Higgins. At least route. it's a Thursday, so you know, yeah. like going well, into time. the first week of the game, whether yeah. or not you're going to have Derrick Henry as a fantasy right. uh, manager. You, you're right, though. I mean, especially the quick turnaround. You can't play him in that spot. If you lose Derrick Henry, you don't even deserve to be it's a playoff done. team. Yeah, you're done. Well, because he's the whole identity too. Yeah. yeah. So I, I agree with you. And to that point, I. I don't think you can even do him on like a limited basis to where you're saying, well, at least tell us whether he's playing or not. I don't even think you should consider like the, oh, he's kind of banged up, but we want to get him a couple carries. No, he's either yeah. fully Start in or, or he's fully out. And mm-hmm. I, I would agree with you guys. I would go on the route of be precautious, keep him out. I, I, I think anybody that's dealing with any sort of thing, even if you're like, hey, 95% chance you could go, yeah, let's use that 5%. He's not playing. Because I would want these guys to be healthy going into the game that's going to determine your playoff fate. This game, if, if it does not matter, I don't care. Anybody that's dealing with an injury should be out. I'm not saying a healthy starter should sit out. I think those guys should still play. But if there's a starter that's dealing with any sort of nagging injury, he should be out in that I, and game. I'm, I'm not bringing this up for fantasy. I'm bringing this up devil's advocate version. No, would, you, would you be concerned as a head coach that you're losing your only leader on the field? Because you've got a young Malik Willis who's your quarterback. You really have... Nobody in terms of offensively who's going to just drive that. And I know it doesn't matter, but do you really want to get in a spot where you lose all of those good vibes as a team what one week? Vibes? Well, that's a very good point, especially for Abel calling out his offense earlier today. Yeah, I mean, they, they but, stink. They, they've been terrible for the last like month of the season, and it's not because of... I just feel like momentum's a real thing, and I don't know if you want to be going into a winner get winner. I mean, they've lost five straight. They they have horrible momentum right now, and I don't think Thursday night football is going to do anything to help them. I actually think that you could go the other way on this. Maybe the momentum is you've got a healthy Derrick Henry who was arrested coming off of two weeks of rest going into that Jaguars game, and he gives you your only chance to make the playoffs in Week 17. That's it. Or Week 18, rather. He's your only chance, and so the momentum is... You have a 240-pound running back who runs a 4-5-40, and he is now healthy and fresh and ready to go against the Jaguars, running behind a depleted offensive line. But the best thing that you've got available to you, and that's where your real momentum comes in. So I I know for fantasy this sucks. I get it. We're getting a bunch of texts right now. Bleep you, BK. I need Derrick Henry for the championship this weekend. I get Amen. it, man. I really do. And this is one of the things that stinks about fantasy football is like, you probably there's a lot of people that are going to make it to their championships with Tua Tungavailoa or Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle because all three helped you last week if you had them in your lineup. And now Tua is probably going to be out, and that means bad things for both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Derrick Henry might not play this upcoming weekend. Jarek McKinnon has become a stalwart in a lot of people's fantasy lineups. That that guy was not supposed to be drafted as a as somebody that was going to end up winning you a fantasy championship. This is fantasy football, though. This is what we sign up for. We got to know up front that we we're signing up for a lot of uncertainty. Good managers of... find a way to win. That's right. Oh, okay, Mr. no excuses. Drop play like a champion, Elliot. I, I hope, you, I mean, hope you lose. I've still been winning. Okay. I hope you lose. I hope you lose. Final no, thing to get will. into on the NFL side of things. The other big news from yesterday is that our long national wait for Nathaniel Hackett to get fired. <laughs> Has come to an end. Happened 16 weeks too early. We knew after week one that he was going to get fired. And it just happened to take 16 weeks before they actually made the move. Now, they have said all the right things on how it was the coach. It's not the quarterback. Let's be honest. It's both. Nathaniel Hackett was a bad head coach. And so far this year, Russell Wilson has been one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL. The problem for the Broncos, they're stuck with him. Russell Wilson is going to be with the Broncos for at least the next two years. There are no easy way outs of that contract. So your next head coach, you are hoping to get the best 
out of Russell Wilson. So a lot of people have gone to the obvious, which is saying, hey, Sean Payton might be able to fix him. He's your best chance to fix what you have with Russell Wilson. If I'm Sean Payton, guys, I am not touching that job with a 10-foot pole. He basically controls his own destiny right now. If there's a job he wants within reason, he's going to get it. If the Chargers job comes open, he's going to get that job if he wants it. If the Cowboys job were to come open, he could take that job this offseason. He is the clear-cut, obvious, number one candidate on the market. There is no close second right now. If I'm him, why am I signing up to coach Russell Wilson over the next couple of seasons? Why? What's the point? I would rather wait another year during this cycle to see if a better job were to come open. As an example, and I'm not saying this just because I'm a fan of them, but Andy Reid's like 64 years old. He's not getting any younger. I love Andy. I think that he's going to coach for the next couple of seasons. I don't know how much longer he wants to do this, though. Sean Payton is on record saying Patrick Mahomes is the number one quarterback he has ever evaluated in the NFL draft. The Saints were prepared to draft Patrick Mahomes, the the pick after the Chiefs traded up to select him. Chiefs got good evaluation. They got good intel. They found out that the Saints were going to do so, so they traded in front of them. If you're Sean Payton, wouldn't you just be more likely to wait for either the Chargers or the Chiefs jobs to open up than to take this Broncos job right now? I mean, I would. I, I throw the Cowboys in there, too. Like you sure. said, if that opens up this offseason, I think I would jump at that because they've got a team primed to win a Super Bowl, maybe a couple of them. It's just a matter of the right head coach there. But, yeah, I mean, there's nothing intriguing about Denver's team right now. I mean... Defense is okay. Pretty good. Yeah. I... I you need to, you need at least some type of significant offense to win, even if you've got a great defense. And I just don't think you have that. So, uh, no, if I'm him, I'm staying retired. Yeah, I, I agree. You have to look at the roster to me and you have to see, okay, here's where I see that these are my offensive weapons and they're going to be here for the next three to five years. That's why, like, the Cowboys job is intriguing. It's why if the Chiefs double were to open up, it would be intriguing. Uh, the same with the Chargers. The Chargers, when you could look at it and go, okay, I've got my franchise quarterback and I've got weapons around them. The Broncos don't have that. No. I mean, I don't think Sean Payton can fix Russell Wilson. I think Russell Wilson's broken or it's just out of his prime, and this is what he is now. So I can't see that job being appealing. I can't see the Cardinals' job being appealing if they were to move on from Cliff Kingsbury because they're going to start the year without Kyler. And let's just be honest, I don't think Kyler's a franchise-altering quarterback. So I, I think if I'm him, I would sit out. I would wait until the best possible job opens up, whatever that one is, whatever he decides to do, and go – okay, that's my spot. I'm ready to come out of retirement. And then you and that team can strike up a deal. But I, I would not be coming out of retirement to go coach the Broncos. You're essentially being hired to be fired at, in Denver. Yeah. It's w- the Texans job from last year where exactly. Lovey Smith knew I'm getting hired right now to be fired within the next couple of seasons. And when I look at these jobs that could come open this offseason, guys, Texans, Broncos, Panthers, Saints, Cardinals, none of them are that appealing. I mean, the Chargers are now in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to end up firing Brandon Staley. I know that he didn't do a great job this year. You got that job. You got that roster to the playoffs. You deserve to come back next season as a result of that. Maybe the Patriots comes open depending on what happens with Belichick. I don't think that's a great job. Vegas right now. is intriguing though. If they end up opening up, which I think they like should. they're not. I think they should. I, I agree, but I, I don't know if they will. I, I wonder, I think the coach that probably should be out the door and it's tough to grade him, but I, I think Stefanski's job should be in question. I, I have not been impressed with his job. job. I would not want that job. I wouldn't I, touch that thing with a 10-foot pole either. I think I know it's a PR nightmare, but I think it'd be the most intriguing one of those ones that are on the list right now. Because you have, have, have you watched him, though? Dude, he I know, looks terrible. Deshaun I, Watson looks like... He is up there with Russell Wilson among the worst quarterbacks that I've seen this year. They're, neither of them are Zach Wilson. 
but they're in that next category up from him. I think they're going closer towards a team that's going to have to, to to retool and figure things out more than they're going closer to winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, I, all of these jobs are not particularly appealing to me. Again, if the Chargers job opened up, maybe you take that one, but I don't think it's going to. Mm-hmm. If I'm him, I'm sitting out one more year. And I'll see what it looks like next cycle. He's got a good gig with Fox, man. Don't give that up to take one of these crappy NFL jobs. I want to go where I have an opportunity to win multiple Super Bowls. I want a quarterback. I want to take a job where I've got a quarterback. Oh, well, Arizona's. They got a quarterback. Coming up next on the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, the Blues did finish their road trip 3 1 and 1, just like we wanted to see. I said beforehand, that's what they need to do in order for me to even consider buying back in, and that's what I'm doing. I'm considering buying back in. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad BK's considering it. What a loophole. I need another couple of weeks to be able to determine what. <laughs> what this team really is. And I think that that's pretty much where Doug Armstrong is right now as well. I went back, Alex, to figure out, okay, where were the Blues going into the deadline over the last five seasons? And what did that ultimately influence them to do? And I'm going to spare you all the nitty gritty numbers on this, but essentially what the Blues need to do in order to get to the spot where they were in 2020 when they added Scandella and last year when they added Nick Letty is to win 20 of their next 27 games. That's roughly what you would have to do. If they get there, they'll probably incentivize Doug Armstrong in order to to make some sort of a move where they add. If they don't, that's where it starts to get interesting and you potentially are subtracting from this equation. Do you think they have that kind of a run in them? And if so, does it need to start tonight against Toronto? I think they have the potential to make that type of run, but I think the inconsistency we've seen this season is going to inhibit them. I could see them getting close to it, but I think even getting close to it is going to be like 18 and nine or 17 and 10. And if I'm Doug Armstrong, I'm going to look at it and say, I don't think that's good enough to, to let us go the distance like we had last season to make a a move. So 20 out of 27 with the amount of road, the, the length of the road trip that they have coming up at the start of January. They've got a nice long homestand, but some tough opponents coming in. I think that's going to be a lot. They also have a lot of games to be played in the month of January. Um, I think that's going to be a very tough task for this team. Tanner, you think they can win 20 of their next 27 prior to the deadline? Uh, no. Yeah. No, I, I just, I, it's too inconsistent. It's too inconsistent in hockey for me. I, I just don't. Why? Because it would be the... By far, the trash best. It would take. Like double up their best stretch of hockey this year. Oh, oh, like they haven't gone on a long win streak yet this season. I mean, the eleven-game winning streak would barely get them past <laughs> half of this of what we need. So, no, I, it's, it's almost there. Yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I just don't know nine. if they can because I, I. I haven't seen consistent enough hockey for them to do it. And the other part of this, I do think it is big, is the Krug injury. Krug will be out for pretty much or all of that all stretch, of it. it sounds like, almost. Uh, so I, I I think that is massive because I, I do think he was a big part of the power play. He had a four-game point streak with five assists, I think, before he got injured. So 
I, I don't know. I, I can't see them pulling off winning 20 of their next we 27. Be, we will rally around Callie you, Rosen, and we will be damn good. You can clip this, too, if they end up winning this streak. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon sure. Kylie. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane coming up next. Blues versus Maple Leafs coming up at 7. Alex will have pregame starting at 6 o'clock. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.